It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Hello, everyone. As the intro suggested, I am Michael Henry Harris, and this is the Origin Story Podcast. Uh, before we start talking about today's superhero, I've got just a few housekeeping things to talk about. Uh, when I first started the podcast and was researching it and thinking about the idea to do it, uh, I read that you should record six of them and see what you think. See if you're enjoying the process. See if uh, your listeners are enjoying it, and uh, kind of reassess after six. But to commit to six, because that kind of gives you an idea of exactly what's involved. So today's podcast will be the sixth origin story podcast, and I think I've had some ideas about doing it. Uh, I think I'd like to continue to do it. I've not really focused on how many people are listening or stats or anything like that. I've really just focused on my own process and if I am enjoying it, if the work to uh, benefit ratio is something that I am pleased with, and I am. I'm, I'm having a great time doing it, and I, I hope that it is also either entertaining or educational for other people. But right now, I'm really focused on, on me, but I have decided to kind of change some of the timing just a little bit. Uh, as you may or may not have known, I uh, was kind of trying to release these, you know, do it once a month and release it on the first or so. Uh, this one will be released on the 15th of April. And I think that's going to be the new schedule from now on, as I will record a origin story podcast, release it on the 15th or thereabouts to coincide with the second of the flock emails. Uh, if you don't know what the flock email is, it's two emails a month. The first email contains new art, a short film, a short story, some poetry, a piece of visual art, uh, new art for you uh, that I've uh, found on the interwebs or through personal relationships or, or through professional relationships, uh, art that I want to share that I think deserves a wider audience. And the second email generally contains uh, information about the blog that we have going on at pineconeturkey.com and also about the podcast guests that we have on the Origin Story podcast, and then usually a little teaser for what my son and I have on our podcast, which is Owls on Culture. So I think we're going to continue with that with one little slight change. I think I will also release an Origin Story podcast on the first, and this podcast will focus on talking about the art that is in the flock email. It'll be brief, but it'll be just a little more information about uh, the process of finding that art and what that art means. And I think it'll also include a little bit about the process of actually creating this company and working on the projects that Pinecone Turkey is producing. You know, the why of doing this is always been to scratch my own itch while also hopefully helping out the world even if it is just 
a world, as in one person's world, is better by it. Uh, so I think to fully really achieve that, I want to I want to begin kind of analyzing and discussing what's going on with me on a personal level, but it's on a personal professional level. You know, creating this company, Pinecone Turkey, looking for the art, distributing some art, and creating art. And I think it'll help hold me accountable to my stated goals and the way I would like to live my life. And also, I think it'll help anyone who's trying to be a craftsman or an artist or working with craftsmen or artists or has kind of a big daunting project that they they may be working on. Uh, If I share some of my highs and lows, the things that I do right and wrong, that will at least let me feel like, again, I'm helping somebody else. I'm helping other people. I've had a long history of doing lots of research on blogs and uh, books, films, whatever, you name it, you know, trying to learn from other people's experiences and processes. And I found them immensely helpful. And I would like to kind of continue that and be a part of that. All right, so... So look for the first of those on the first. It'll still be under the Origin Story podcast. If you're subscribing to this podcast, you won't have to do anything else. I will think I'm going to rename it as the Process podcast, but it'll still go out under the same feed. And it'll be a little, a much shorter, short-form podcast, much shorter than these the Origin Story podcasts are, which I know are long. Uh, but that's what I like, and I think that's that's hopefully what the what the audience will come to appreciate, that the time and the details uh, taken with the guests. Uh, so the process podcast will be much shorter. It'll, uh, but hopefully provide some insight of what we're doing here and hopefully provide some, uh, inspiration and education, either as for what we're doing positive or, <laughs> or negative, negative, uh, education. All right. So that's it. So today's superhero, today's superhero is Laura Madrid. And who is Laura Madrid? You're probably asking. Well, Laura is a luxury travel consultant and she comes by it naturally. At a young age, her mother instilled a love of travel and culture, and we talk about that a lot, including an amazing plane trip uh, piloted by her mother. Uh, we talk about our upbringing in Costa Rica and in the United States, and she's lived in Italy and Mexico and the United Kingdom. She's visited over 70 countries, uh, so she's been there, done that many, many a time. Uh, her early working years were as, was in luxury uh, hotel chains. And so we talk a little bit about uh, several different uh, companies and what she learned uh, working at them. We find out her opinion of the, the premier luxury hotel brand. Uh, we talk about how to stand out at a company. We talk a lot of travel tips, including uh, packing, jet lag, uh, selecting itineraries. Uh, and we really just get a sense to me of, uh, during the conversation, of, of Laura's uh, passion for service and for travel and food and wine, uh, culture, really. Uh, Laura works very hard, and I would say she lives very well. Uh, it was really fun talking to her. I think you guys will enjoy it also. Uh, without further ado, here's my wide-ranging conversation with Laura Madrid. Laura Madrid, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Nice to see you on Friday morning. Amen, amen. Uh, so I want to start off with a little bit of a confession. Uh, one of my 
jobs that I've had to support my acting habit was a uh, standardized patient. And in that, you know, you go into a hospital, you train med students or uh, people in their residency, and you have an ailment. But a lot of times you get to make up your own backstory. And my favorite backstory was that of a sculptor. So I thought it was just the coolest job. You know, people wouldn't know a lot about it. And uh, so I could pull it off. But what I wanted to do, the backstory I wanted to have was a travel consultant. <laughs> I just didn't figure I could pull it off because I knew enough. So my goal is the end of this conversation to be able to pull off being a travel consultant. Uh, Perfect. And then and you standard can walk in and work. say you have Zika and all kinds of other good stuff that you picked up on Oh, travels. I didn't even think about yeah. that part. <laughs> I haven't thought about the health. That's amazing. Uh, Laura, tell everybody what you do. I would have already introduced you at this point, but if you meet somebody at a cocktail party, uh, what do you do? Gosh, I live in the dream. I, um, I plan luxury travel holidays and I get to uh, work with clients uh, by vicariously traveling the world with them. But um, I, I, I do um, just try and make people very happy with their free time. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a job that I take very seriously. Um, people hire all kinds of, of professionals in their life, whether it's a personal trainer or whether it's a financial advisor and um, people also hire me to, to plan their free time and help them spend their money in a way that's meaningful and that means a lot to me. That's very, very cool. So I want to get out a few of the questions that I imagine that are asked all the time with you. So I'm going to actually ask you, you know, if you meet somebody and you tell them that that's what you do, they've had two and a half glasses of wine, what are the first questions they ask you? Because oh, <laughs> I know you must I, oh, get like... Oh, I didn't know travel agents existed. That's the, that's the number one thing that I, I hear from people. Oh, really? And it's funny. Um, but it's, it's a good question, and it's a good um, misconception, actually. It's um, transactional travel agents have been replaced by the internet, certainly. Um, but I'm an advisor, and I advise people um, about their lifestyle, and I try and put myself in my client's shoes and understand how they live and what they would think is a wow when they travel. Because if you can't understand what a wow is for them, then you're not going to be able to create the dream. People don't want to travel and stay somewhere that's not as nice as their own home or have experiences that, that they can book on the internet. They want something unique and bespoke and customized, maybe that only they have found. Um, it gives them bragging rights, and, and that's what I try and do. I try and get in their head and, and really figure out what would be special to them. And so how do you do that? Is that? Do you start with a questionnaire, or do you, like, yeah, conversations? I don't have or? A, thanks for asking, Michael. I don't have a standard questionnaire. I like, I like to free flow kind of like you do. Um, but I, I get a really good sense of people because a lot of the clients I work with I know personally anyway. Um, you know, maybe I know them from the tennis court or um, they've been referred by someone else I work with. And um, I get a feel for what their career is, what their kids are, what stage of life they're in, um, just by chit-chatting and where they've already been and what, what lights up their eyes. That helps me understand, you know, what, what, what they want. So do you have, like, if let's say you know somebody as an acquaintance or a friend and, like, you've talked to them for a few years and maybe they haven't used you yet. Uh, do you have, like, ideas like, oh, I can't wait till X asks me or hires me to do this because I know that they're going to, I'm going to do boom, 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 and line it up for people? Or do you have uh, any, like, reserve or greatest hits in the back of your head for somebody in mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, see, I, I take the same trips my clients take. I, I, I personally travel, and that's what sets me apart probably from, you know, calling an American Express call center where someone's just working their nine-to-five job and, and, and doing a great job at it, but they don't have personal 
um, recollection and experience to pass on. And so I do. That's what I, I, I personally take the same trips my clients do. And if there's somewhere I haven't been, it's it's already on my list. Um, I spend a lot of resources, time, and money to um, to see and experience everything. And so. For me, what I get most excited about is is talking about places that I've been that have made an impact on me, um, and I think that's the, the easiest way to to convince, if you will, a client to try something is if I can paint the story and and, and describe what it smelled like, felt like, tastes like. They get excited. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's see how you got there. Where are you from? Ah, oh, wow. It's um, it's never a dull story, but I'm, it might sound dull. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, um, you know, good old Midwestern girl. My mom's the oldest of 12 kids, and I've got a massive family um, with generations of, of cousins and um, very, a very um, loving and um, spirited family, but, <laughs> um, but definitely not your average um, not your average upbringing, I would say. So I'm from St. Louis, but I've lived in 10 states in four countries. So we, so we moved quite a bit. Okay. And why were you guys moving around so much? Um, my mother was a free spirit, and um, I always call her a bit of an Amelia Earhart. She was um, an adventurer and, and um, just wanted us to see and do things differently. She wasn't satisfied with, with simply, um, you know, growing up and doing the, the lifestyle that had been presupposed for her. Um, she, like I said, was the oldest of 12 and um, so a bit of a leader. Um, she grew up in an automotive family. My grandfather started a, a very successful automotive business about 60, 70 years ago. Started out with an Austin Healey and MG dealership and, um, and now they are the, the largest car dealers in, in the uh, Midwestern United States. But my mother was was working for the dealership, but um, but you know, it's uh, she grew up in a time where they weren't going to pay the women more than the men, and I think probably got a little frustrated and um, and decided to you know to to leave that and, and do her own thing. Um, but we had some some dramatic dramatic uh, upheavals, if you will, as well. My my dad died when I was one, and my mother was a 25-year-old with two kids and um, was, you know, was all of a sudden put in a position where she wasn't going to be taken care of for the rest of her life and needed to figure out what to do with herself. So I think that was the impetus for her to um, to, to start uh, kind of a more adventurous uh, lifestyle. And, well, we were the kids, so we were just there for the ride. Right. That's pretty amazing of her to be able to do that. Where where would you say your formative years were spent in, the, in your, you know, before you're an adult? Yeah, I, I would think, um, you know, again, I, I've, I've, we've moved so much, which I wouldn't necessarily wish upon anyone. I think it's um, it's it's um, not conventional and and certainly um, not really that settling. But I wouldn't change anything that I've done or where I've lived because that's how I sort of look at my childhood and look at the chapters of my life. This is when we lived in Lake Forest, and this is when we lived in Marblehead, and this is when we lived in Sarasota. But I would say the, the place, of course, that I, I think shaped me the most was when we moved to Costa Rica. Um, I was seven, and um, my mother was a pilot. She had a small plane. Um, like my, my dad who had passed away, he was also a pilot. Um, but she uh, flew myself, my nine-year-old brother, my um, two-month-old brother, which uh, she had recently adopted um, 
to our family and our dog. Um, and we uh, we flew down on this single engine plane down you know from St. Louis to Costa Rica, which nowadays that's just a you know a quick four hour flight. But back then we we stopped in Veracruz, Mexico, stopped um, again in Managua, Nicaragua, right right at a time that was. Um, uh, politically unstable there, and they really weren't too pleased with my mother landing with a bunch of kids. But um, we we needed to do so. She had she had cramps and was not feeling well, and the weather was closing in. And she told them that we were landing, even though they hadn't granted permission. Um, and when we when we when we did touch down, we had the entire military encircle our plane with, with you know machine guns, and it was definitely. A wow experience for a seven-year-old. What, um, did, what did she... What a badass. <laughs> she, is, she is a badass. I, she's, she's my hero and my idol. She didn't put up with anything and anybody. Um, she was going to make stuff happen. There was, there was never um, you know, any red tape that could hold her back. So how would... So do you, do you have memories of this at seven? Or just... Oh, gosh, yeah. Absolutely. Vivid. Um, my husband always says, how do you remember stuff? But I, I honestly... I can, I can remember when I was three. I... I I, yeah, I, I like. I think maybe it was because of all the moving. I I can quite um, quite vividly see each house I've ever grow, lived in. Because um, it's kind of segmented a little mm-hmm, bit. This is yes. the Sarasota time. This is the. Yes. So what did she tell you? Why you guys were moving to Costa Rica? Um, she said that it would be fun. <laughs> That's how she always told us. Oh, it'll be so fun. You know, we're leaving tomorrow. Um, it was like that. But, um, you know, she she wanted us to get out of um, suburban St. Louis. St. Louis is an incredible place to grow up. It's it's beautiful, and um, people are wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of America's old great cities. But um, she knew that there was so much more in life for us to see and that, you know, living in a homogenous society where everyone, you know, belonged to the same club and did the same thing, that that wasn't going to rock my world. And she um, she wanted us to to move to Central America. She had done extensive research and wanted us to be somewhere where we could uh, live very well, um, you know, with without, um, you know, really having a, a strong financial um, background at that point. We, we needed to live somewhere where we could afford. And she also wanted us to live somewhere where we could learn another language and, um, and, and just really um, grow grow culturally. And we were supposed to, to move to Nicaragua. Frankly, it's actually a much more um, culturally interesting uh, country. Um, Costa Rica was was a, a bit more bland, really. Um, they don't have, uh, you know, as much of an indigenous culture and, and just more of a, more of, it was more of a stable country. But long story short, because of the um, civil war, that was what was what was about to break out in Nicaragua. She thought Costa Rica would have been a safer bet. <laughs> so that's how we ended up down there, and it was it was wonderful. So she was tempering some of the excitement and joy with uh, with also a little a little safety involved absolutely, as well. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So it was it was it was fantastic. We bought a farm, um, uh, you know, twenty eight acres, which is tiny for Costa Rican standards, but obviously huge for us. And we had. Um, you know, avocado trees and citrus and a bunch of dogs running around. And it was a really cool lifestyle. So were you, uh, you were going to school this time, I imagine? Or yes. Jordan? She put us into Costa Rican schools, um, didn't, didn't put us in American schools. We, we didn't even speak a lick of Spanish. And, and how did you pick up the language? Just being so, surrounded yeah, and had to? You have to. You have to. It was um, fantastic. My brother, he was, he was really tall. He ended up being six foot five in his, in his full, um, height but he um, was huge compared to the the ticos as they call the costa ricans and um so he was interesting character but we we literally sat there uh in our classes for about 
four or five months without saying anything. Yeah. Um, but, but eventually you just turn it on and it flows. It's a wonderful way to, to learn language. I would recommend it to anybody. <laughs> uh, I bet. Uh, so how long did you live in Costa Rica? We were there nearly three years. And um, so from my age seven to my age 10, more or less. What was your uh, chore on the farm? Oh, gosh. Um, What's that routine like? Yeah, you know, um, the routine was pretty, um, per, I want to say, uh, simple. You know, I did a lot of playing. We, we lived on acres and acres, and we had a, a fascinating ATV vehicle, which we would um, drive all over the farm into ravines. Um, there were snakes, and there were tarantulas, and there were scorpions, and you know, you just take it with a grain of salt. My mom would say, oh, you know, I'd say, mom, there's a scorpion in my bed. She said, well, just hit it with a shoe, honey. You know? <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was different. Um, you know, when you live a place like Costa Rica, you have the opportunity to have a lot of, a lot of help. So we did have um, uh, a whole, you know, family of people that lived with us that took good care of us. We had, um, we, you know, it sounds a little bit... Um, elitist and I don't mean it to sound that way at all but we had you know you're providing jobs for other people and they're taking care of you so we had a chauffeur and we had a nanny and we had a, a cook but it was um they were a family that lived with us and we loved them and they were part of our lifestyle and so in terms of chores I hate to say it but I didn't have too many um because there were a lot of people that were helping us but um but I I didn't um I didn't have um Again, a typical upbringing. We had to go find things to do. I remember, you know, walking for miles with my Barbies and setting up camp under a citrus tree. And you know, there were, there was, there were all kinds of insects around me. And you just sort of played and then had fun. Um, but um, I, I definitely remember, um, you know, running over to the neighbors and jumping on their on their horses without saddles. And it was just a very, you know, my my little brother Tomas. He didn't have shoes for two years. Um, he just ran around the farm with with bare feet. So it's just. It was a simpler lifestyle. Did uh, were you able to make friends? Oh yeah, um, we definitely had some friends, but it was um, again we we lived on a farm, so we were pretty remote, and we didn't go to the American school. But um, we did have some friends that um, my parents were friendly with, and we became friends with their with their kids, the flowers. Um, but uh, my brother and I became best friends. You know, uh, my mom bought us the entire collection of Nancy Drews and Hardy Boys. We had each had about whatever fifty-two books, and we we read every single one of them. Outstanding. Um, you know, you you find things to do. It's 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 your own entertainment, which I think is really healthy. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, why did you guys leave Costa Rica? It was time. Um, my mother was was married to my um, Hungarian dad, who who raised us um, for. About eight years of my life, they were married, um, and uh, they um, they decided to, uh, I guess, get divorced or separated. And um, you know, our, the course had run. We had we had lived there, and it was just time to come home. And where was the next stop? We moved back to St. Louis uh, for a little bit, um, and then uh, after 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 a few years there, we moved to Philadelphia. And that was Philadelphia is my second home. I mean, that's where I lived more than anywhere else. So okay. um, I was there for my entire high school experience. Um, a little bit of little bit of middle school and all high school. So five years in one place. It was it was monumental. And those are where I made my 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 first closest friends. I was able to dig my root, roots in a little bit. Do you represent Philly? Are you every every person I met from Philly, including one I've had on the podcast, is like Philly's like home. Philly's a big deal. 
People love Philly. And um, I lived in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. It's mushroom capital of the world. It's a, it's a gorgeous rural area um, in, in Westchester County. And it's um, we lived in a 250-year-old Quaker farmhouse, um, which is to give you an idea. The swimming pool alone was a 50-year-old swimming pool. And it was just beautiful. Oh, my um, gosh. I, I don't think I appreciated it as a... As a high schooler, I thought this place is really boring. The movie theater is 30 minutes away. But um, when I go back now, I realize what, it, what a special place to have um, had some of my growing up. That's very cool. So you graduated high school when you're from Philly? I you did, were in Philly? yeah. And where did you go to college? University of Florida. All right. Now, so how, how did you get from Philly to Gainesville? My mom had... Um, I always bring up my mom. See, she's, she influences me every every day. But um, she had um, she had a house in Florida and she had a house in Pennsylvania. So she said, you know what? You can get in-state tuition in both places. Uh, you decide. And it was a no-brainer. I applied to every school in Florida. Um, and, uh, yeah, had a, had a fun time doing that. Ended up marrying a, um, a Florida State Seminole. So it was a rough, rocky um, few years of, of our dating. But I, I, I've given up the rivalry and... Don't bother talking about it with him anymore. You guys have made peace. Yeah. You know what? It's, there's just too many other things to, to, to worry about. And um, I, I love uh, being a Florida Gator. He loves being a Seminole, and we just leave it at that. There we go. Uh, what did you think you wanted to study when you were going to school, or did you know at that point? I didn't know. I think it's funny. You know, I got my son getting ready to go to college now, and, you know, nowadays they really make you kind of decide what you're going to study. And I think it's a funny thing to have a kid – decide what they're going to study and what they're going to do with their lives. Nobody knows. Um, but I, um, I ended up uh, majoring in Spanish and minoring in Italian. So I, I did Spanish um, and Latin American studies. Uh, so a lot of literature really was my, was my major, um, which I loved. Uh, so liberal arts. So you were studying language. Did you know that you wanted to... I mean, traveler, you just wanted to be experienced the other cultures and the stories through that language? Or? I didn't know what I wanted to do. Everyone thinks when you're a linguistics or a language major that you're going to teach. I had no, no interest in teaching. I don't think I'm patient enough for that. Um, but I, I knew that whatever I did, my language would give me an advantage in my career. So I thought by pursuing and studying that, um, it would you know, help me with any direction I ended up going. And I, I think liberal arts is a great um, background for, for all students. It teaches you to to be a, a learner and a thinker. And um, so, yeah, I didn't have an end game in mind at all. I, you know, I, maybe I was going to go to grad school. And anyway, uh, you know, I, I guess it did get me my first job um, at the end of the day because, uh, well, I ended up moving to, to Washington, D.C. after college um, and worked for a think tank. Um, worked for um, uh, probably what, what what my husband likes to call a um, a left wing commie newsletter that wrote about U.S. policy in Latin America. That was my internship. I worked for free there for um, for a summer, but then I ended up staying on and working um, at the National Endowment for Democracy, which was a another um, think tank um, that supported um, all kinds of grassroots efforts um, like Get Out the Vote and women's groups and civics groups all over the globe um, using uh, USAID money. But it was it was a lot of fun. I worked for Barbara Haig, who was the daughter of um, General Alexander Haig. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And she was an amazing woman. Um, so I, I did this, you know, for about a year and a half, but and I wasn't really using my language, I'll be honest. However, um, 
that's that's when my best friend told me about um, the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company opening up their first hotel in Latin America. Okay, and I want and I want to get to that, but I want to go back just a little bit. I'm going to interrupt for a totally, second. Totally, yeah. But just overall, would you? What was your college experience like? Was it a good experience? Oh, was gosh. how did you and what? And what are you going to tell your? Is it your son or your daughter who's about to go? My son's about to go to college. Okay, so what are you going to tell? What, you know, him Michael, based thanks for asking. Yeah, you know what? Um, I was a really poor student in high school, and um, didn't take it seriously. I remember my mother saying to me, "Do you care about anything besides beer and lipstick?" <laughs> I, I never. The name of your next novel. I never forgot that. Like it was such an insult. Um, but you know, but she, but it was it made an impact because I still remember her saying that. And um, this was in high school um, where I realized I needed to. I needed to figure out what I believed in and get my act together. And um, when I went to college, I um, I became a, a very serious professional student, and I, I I really understood the joy of learning and of doing well, and why we were studying, um, and, and what the, what the purpose was. And boy, I just I, I it was it was like a, a switch went you know flipped. It was it was something special. So my college experience. It was fun. Um, I, I, w- I wasn't the type that got there and went loose. It wasn't you know, my first rodeo in terms of having independence. My mother always gave us a lot of independence, probably more than she should have. <laughs> but, um, but by the time I got there, I was like, okay, I've, I've, I've done all the nonsense, and now I'm ready to, to focus in on, on making a difference and, and, and taking care of, um, of of my education and getting ready for my future. So, so it was a, it was a great college experience, but probably not your typical one. It wasn't like, woohoo, I'm at a party school. You know, it right. was, it was, let's be a great student. So it was fun. Um, met, you, met, 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 met my future husband there, but, but so you I, met, you met, you guys met in college. We did. Okay. Tell me that story. How'd you meet him? Oh gosh, that's a, that's another crazy one. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> I, I love long stories. What you got? Um, all right. Well, it's a good one. It's a, it's a worthwhile story. So, um, my current husband, Gil, um, who was the gentleman I met in, in college, he was my brother's roommate at college. They were four years ahead of me. So when I was um, a freshman, they, they had just graduated. Um, this, is a long, this is an interesting story. So I met my husband through my brother, but I met my brother and my husband on the same day. Pardon? Yes. So um, my mother, again, she had um, she had gotten pregnant when she was in college and um, from a large Catholic family where that was totally unacceptable. Um, And she was sent away um, to have this baby and put him up for adoption. Um, And so she was living in a convent, I think, in Miami and um, gave up the baby. And it wasn't until years later um, that she had told me that I actually had another brother that I never grew up with or knew. And um, so we... um, How old were you when she told you this? Well, my big brother who I grew up with in Costa Rica, he actually died. He died playing basketball. He was a six foot five, very healthy young man, but died of a sudden heart attack on, on a basketball cart court and um passed away so he was um he was 20 when he died i was 18 oh my gosh it was yeah it was the worst things ever happened and he was your best friend this is the one you were talking about yes john was my best friend so um you know uh, just you know an incredible gentleman and i would love to know him today 
But, um, you know, things happen for a reason and, um, you know, life, life obviously goes on. So it was a painful, a painful period for us. But during that time period, my mother told me about my other brother that I never knew. And um, we would love to have met him at that, at that time, but we're not able to because unless both parties are seeking information from the adoption agency, they don't really release any details. Well, meanwhile, Blair, my brother, who had been put up for adoption as a baby, um, his family who had adopted him, there was a doctor and a nurse, and they had adopted five children, all from different families. Um, they had said to their children, you may want to look into your health history and, and find out who your birth parents are. So he sought that information, and when he contacted the agency, um, they said, well, there's a letter here from your birth mother, and long story short, they were put in contact with one another, and my mother called me at college and said, guess what? Your brother Blair's made contact with us. Come down and meet him. Well, I had all these exams that that week. I said, "Mom, I've got exams." You know, again, being the serious student that I was, and she's like, "Be there," and pretty much hung up on me. And I realized, well, this is obviously important. And I got in my car and drove down to my mom's house in South Florida. She had a place in Boca Raton, and I arrived to the house, and Blair was already there. Um, so it was interesting to walk into my, my home and, and see a brother that I did not grow up with. So what were you thinking on the drive down? Like, what were you feeling? Like, how did, how did that, how do you prepare yourself for that? Uh, I don't think there's a textbook. I mean, I don't think you prepare. I, I was super excited. Um, you know, I just, I, I, there was no feeling except excitement. Okay. You know, not, not concern, not jealousy, not, you know, sadness, not, I guess I probably was apprehensive or a bit nervous, just like, what is this going to be like? What's he going to think of us? But beyond that, you know, no. So I walked into the house and he was super handsome and just awesome. And I just, I was like, wow, this is my brother. It was really cool. And he was fun and interesting and all these things that I I think that, you know, a lot of people in our family have these, 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 these traits, um, even though he didn't grow up with us, they, he had them and it was just interesting. It's so, uh, fascinating to me. I love meeting people with siblings, uh, because I'm an only child. My wife's an only child. My son is an only child, a bunch of only children, but it's, it is interesting to me how much genetics, how people are people and like, yes, you can form them and shape them and raise them, but they're going to be who they're going to be. And I love seeing when there's traits that run through like a family tree. It's amazing to me. Yeah. That whole innate versus learned is, is fascinating. Um, so we hit it off and we, you know, had a great time. My mother and he had been catching up all day with my little brother, Tomas and looking at photo albums and just catching up on, you know, 20, whatever, three years of life. Um, we went out to dinner that night and had a few drinks and had a great time. And he, um, he, my brother Blair was an engineer at NASA. I mean, he had a great, great education, a great upbringing. And um, he said he had told us all along that he wouldn't be able to spend the night because he had to get back to work. Well, yeah, it's a little weird and creepy to spend the night with your new family not knowing what they would be like. Completely. I wouldn't commit to that either. Right. So he went to use the payphone because I don't think we had cell phones then, and um, said he was going to see if he could get someone to cover for him at work the next day so he could spend the night. So he's like, you know, we were all, woohoo, this is great. We right. found it, it went well. It went well. Um, he came back and said, I got someone to cover for me. I'm going to stay the night. So we were so excited. And my mother and Tomas, you know, my y- much younger brother, they decided they were going to go home and go to bed. And she said, my mother, Blair, you and Laura stay out and, you know, catch up some more, have another beer or whatever. So Blair and I got in the car and um, 
drove down to Fort Lauderdale. He said he wanted to introduce me to some friends. And we walked into a bar called The Parrot, and he introduced me to his friends, Gil Madrid and Gil's brother, Kenny. And um, so, yeah, so that night I met my husband, Gil Madrid. That's amazing. (laughs) And the funny thing is they were the backup plan because all along, he wasn't planning on going back to work. Oh, no, of course not. He was spending the night with (laughs) with Gil and Kenny. So it it was pretty cool. So he walked in and he said, this is my sister. And yeah, that's all she wrote. That is amazing. You got two great additions all in one one trip. Absolutely. And that's what I say. I mean, gosh, I would never, uh, never wish uh, my brother to have died, of course, and I miss him every day. But I explained to my children that, you know, things happen for a reason and they probably wouldn't be here if John was still here because maybe my mom wouldn't have, you know, felt compelled at that moment in time to reach out to Blair. You know, everything happens for a reason. And so... um you know, I, I think that maybe my brother John sent Gil to me. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you were getting ready to graduate college, you were off ready to change the world. How did you get this internship in D.C.? How did this happen? Yeah, I don't remember specifically how I, I got it. I, I, I grew up thinking I was going to be an ambassador. That was my mom always said. You should be an ambassador. And Ooh, I'd so, love to play an ambassador. That'd it, be amazing. How fun, right? I, I just thought that was my, my calling in life. and I, I, So I always kind of knew that D.C. was someplace I'd like to end up. Um, and I thought that I would get into politics and use my language and, and just be in a city where it's just so international. There's, you know, you can eat Ethiopian food tonight and Vietnamese lunch tomorrow and everyone's interesting and everyone rides the public transportation but has, you know, multiple degrees in education. I just think it's a, it's a city that to me still just gets me excited. It's alive. So I applied. I don't remember how, how I found it or got it. It may have been through my school career center. I can't recall, but um, it was a fun internship and, and um, very interesting in a dilapidated old building with a real character as a director and um yeah we just had to to write um you know snippets and 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 op-eds about um about what the united states policy was doing and how it affected latin america as a region so it was was fun you're doing research analysis and then communicating that out to to whom to the to the readership to those that 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 uh subscribe to this newsletter okay yeah it was a lot of fun it was called the um the Council on Hemispheric Affairs, and I can't remember what the actual newsletter was called, but um, anyway, it, it, was, it was a summer internship, but I met some great people and, uh, and learned a lot. It was fun. Did you stay in D.C. after that? I did. That was a pretty miserable part of my life in the sense that, um, you know, I, I didn't have any money, and D.C. is an expensive uh, city, and I was, I was a non-paid intern, and um, my mother told me to stick it out. She, you know, I was dating Gil at the time. I could have easily moved back to Florida. And, and Where is Gil at this moment? He, at this point, um, gosh, I think, I can't remember if he was in Tampa or he was in South Florida. He may have been um, in Fort Lauderdale. I can't remember. He was, he was in Florida, though. And he was um, starting his career out, you know, working um, for, for different companies. And, you know, I, I, I could have easily and comfortably moved back and, and found something. But my mother... She said, stay in D.C. She loved Gil. It wasn't about Gil. It was about she understood that as a woman, I needed to get my act together. I needed to get a career. I needed to get a paycheck. And then if love was meant to be, that would always be there. But she knew that, um, you know, making choices just to be with a man is not going to set me up as an individual for, for life and for success. I dig your mom. 
Yeah, she's great. Uh, so what was your first job after the internship? What was your, like, your So yeah, so I, I got, uh, you know, I was working at a few restaurants. Um, I worked for uh, some really lovely restaurants, an Italian restaurant called Note Luna, and then a, a restaurant called the the Red Sage, which is Mark Miller's, um, you know, he's a very famous Southwestern chef that opened up a, a very hot restaurant. Are you waiting tables? I was waiting tables. And, uh, was, wait you tables. know, just to make a buck, obviously, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough lifestyle to get out of because... You're making massive amounts of tips. You're working late, and then you're partying with the chefs and the waiters until the wee hours, and then you're supposed to be really looking for a job in the morning. So it was a, it was a tough cycle to break, um, but I knew, of course, that I, I needed to find a, a, a career job, and I, I eventually did land a job uh, with the national, excuse me, with the National Endowment for Democracy. Yes, that was the, um, the the paying job that I got. I was called program assistant. That was my my title, but basically I was the assistant to, to Barbara Haig and, and helped her um, keep organized, but it was fascinating. Um, they were, the, the organization was doing just some really interesting programs all over the world in a, um, in a, in a, in a time that was, um, you know, a lot of, a lot was going on with the, with the fall of the wall in, 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 in the Eastern Bloc and, and, and kind of all of the countries that were turning into countries um, in Central and Eastern Europe. It was it was fascinating. And of course, um, lots going on in Latin America during that period. But I just got to keep my finger on the pulse and, and help her, um, you know, stay organized and, and help her to, to make uh, decisions regarding the, the direction of the um, organization. But it was, um, it was a fun time. It was during Clinton's inauguration. So I got to be in D.C. during that. Um, and, you know, it, it was just... It was fun to watch him pick his cabinet and just really get to know a lot about what was happening politically in our country. Well, you're on the inside. Are you an organized person? Oh, gosh. Incredibly. Yeah, to a fault. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Why, why to a fault? Uh, well, I, I, because I expect everyone else to be as organized and it drives <laughs> me crazy when they're not. Um, oh, my, my children um, probably feel a little overwhelmed by my constantly asking, is it on the calendar? Did you plan it? Is it three months out? What have you done to prepare for this? Um, Were you always like this? Is this something going or did you learn this through this job or did you? I've always, I think, been that way. I'm a list person. I love organizing closets. (laughs) You know, I love planning a calendar. I'm already, my travel calendar is already pretty much scheduled throughout 2018 and I've already started looking at 2019. So it's, yeah. I gotcha. What did you learn from the job? Did you, what did you learn about yourself? Because you're at a pretty formative age now. You've got a job. You've done the waiting tables thing already. Yeah. And life is, I mean, you're around a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, I, I, I think more than anything, I learned that, um, you know, a, a title means nothing and um, always, always do more than is expected of you. Um, if you, you know, solve problems, you know, for people before they even know it's a problem, you make yourself invaluable. Um, you know, it's, uh, especially when you're young, it's easy to take a job and, and ask, well, what do I need me to do? And, and you can't be defined by a job description. You've got to create the job description. And that's how, that's how people find your worth. That's amazing advice. <laughs> I hope my son listens to this. <laughs> Uh, so how did you get into the hospitality industry? I mean, you obviously 
the tables, but how did you the, <laughs> well, the other part of the hospitality industry? We traveled a lot, as you as I mentioned, and 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 my mother, um, again, my mother. Wow, see, she's just so influential in my life. I love that. She um she took us to great places, and we stayed in great hotels and and dined in great restaurants growing up. And it was even if she didn't have a dime, that's how she spent her money, and she always included us. So we we got to um experience a really uh, a lot of really special things that probably certainly a lot of kids didn't do, but most adults didn't do. Is uh, anything, can you give me an example? Oh gosh. I just, I mean, uh, I remember going to Chicago, you know, for the weekend and, and staying in, you know, uh, a fancy hotel and being at an incredible restaurant where there's jazz music playing. My parents are dancing and it's all adults and we're the only kids. I mean, this was not unusual. It would happen. You know, we just, we just did it. Um, I love that. There were no barriers. And there was, you know, she, my mom was, was a single mom for a lot of our growing up, and she wasn't going to sit around waiting for a date. We were her dates. So, you know, it, it was, um, yeah, we just did it. And, um, and she's got great taste and loves great things. So, you know, when I, when I went to college in, uh, for a year in Italy, my mother showed up with um, my little brother for a summer of travel after my, my year of studying. And I had become a backpacker and was really used to, you know, the second class trains and backpacking around. And she showed up with way too much Louis Vuitton luggage and first class train tickets. And, and she and my brother and I traveled around and it was hilarious. And I was so mad at her. I was like, how do you expect us to get all this luggage on and off trains? And, and we were literally just schlepping luggage off and on trains. It was, it was, I was so mad at her. I said, this is not how you travel, but, <laughs> but we stayed at incredible places and we had, you know, Relay and Chateau lunches and dinners. And, and I just remember it, it being incredibly glorious and, and, and lucky, but you know, that's, that's just, that's, she wanted us to have the good life. And uh, okay. So we glossed over the, this trip to, this trip to, so you were studied for a year for abroad in Italy. Oh, sorry. See, that's, that's what I all do. Right. I, I, so where in Italy were you? Oh, I lived in Florence. Uh, amazing. Uh, what was that like? Oh, gosh, it was great. How it old are you? So You're 20, 21? Um, I was probably, um, it was my junior year of college, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. probably at 20. Yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. 2021. Thanks. You're better at math than me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, you know, I, I grew up obviously speaking Spanish, and, and I thought the logical thing would be to go to somewhere in Spain, but my mother had studied in Rome um, as a youngster, and she um, she just thought Italy would be really great, and so yeah, so I ended up in Florence, and um, luckily, once you speak one Latin language, you can learn another, and I, I was speaking fluent Italian within a matter of, you know, four, four months or so, so it was it was pretty awesome, um, and I felt like a local. I pretended I was Italian, and I. So what does what, what does one do to pretend that you're Italian? Yeah, this you, is I've got a question later on, but we can do it now. Maybe I was. Yeah. Uh, if you're an American, you're traveling overseas, and you don't want to look and be like an American. What do you do? Well, uh, first of all, um, you gotta temper the demanding attitude, um, which we all tend to have. We're used to getting what we want by, you know, pounding our fist or speaking a little louder. And that's just not the way Europeans get things done. Um, so being, being gracious goes a really long way. Asking nicely, um, the carrot versus the stick. This is so embarrassing that that's part of the advice one would have to give. Well, you asked. <laughs> I wouldn't give it to everybody. I understand. Um, no, I mean, it's, I, I don't disagree. They, sure. they, uh, in general, I think that um, people 
people think that we're a little spoiled and, and that we get what we want by 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 demanding and being loud. So um, I would say that um, I think dressing for the occasion, uh, Europeans, you know, even if it's casual and you're wearing jeans, they celebrate, um, you know, uh, food and, and the ambiance by by dressing the part. So throw on a scarf, put on some nice shoes, um, you know, just just uh, dress for the occasion. Um, it, I think it's really appreciated. And um, and if you uh, look sloppy, I, I think that you, you stand out a little bit. So if you're okay. trying to fit in, I think that's that's important. So um, when you were in college, what, what what were you doing to try to be? Oh, I was speaking Italian. I refused to speak English to anybody, you know, nice. and um, I dated some Italian boys. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely... Uh, anything I did, I, I I loved trying all foods. I I I, I don't know. I just dove in. I just dove right in. Um, went everywhere I could. I, every weekend, I was you know not necessarily going off to big European capitals. I was going to tiny Italian towns. So I really got to know Italy inside out. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay, <laughs> bringing us back. To- Thank you. How do you stay organized? You're better organized than I am. <laughs> I'm horribly disorganized. You would you would you would hate hate being around me uh so okay we're bad now we're ready to get our hospitality job yes where are we going thank you so my best friend worked for ritz carlton um hotel company and she had been working with them for a a few years and i i thought it sounded very glamorous and very cool um and she let me know about the first latin american property that was on the horizon to open up in cancun mexico which cancun's not necessarily a you know, a typical Latin American city. It's actually kind of a vacation destination made for Americans, but it's, it was uh, a great way to um, get my foot in the door. I applied for the job and I, I applied and I applied and they spoke to me for, uh, gosh, about a year. And then about three weeks before the hotel actually opened in Cancun, which, you know, the Ritz Carlton, um, I got a call saying, Hey, you're hired. And can you come like right away? And I said, well, what am I hired for? And they said I was going to be their um, guest history manager. So basically, what does that mean? yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a great little job um, that Ritz-Carlton does very well. And actually other companies are, are trying to employ the same strategy and do. But it's, it's basically a way to um, track uh, the repeat guests, the loyal guests of the company, and not only know where they've been, but what are their preferences. Um, you know, do they... Do they hate ice in their water? Do they um, have a problem with rooms near the elevator? Do they um, want to make sure the uh, honor bar is cleared out, you know, of all the junk food uh, before they check in? You know, little little things that make the hotel, no matter if they're at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun or they're at the Ritz-Carlton in Dubai, feel like home. Um, so it was a program that I, um, I managed, and it was fun. I got to not only meet a lot of guests, um, including some interesting, famous uh, personalities, uh, Reba McIntyre, Chuck Norris, Shaquille O'Neal. I, I, I got to walk these these pretty cool people to their room and, and get to know them a little bit. Please and, tell and me a Chuck Norris story. Do you have a Chuck Norris story? Well, I don't have one specifically about him, but it's hilarious. I don't know if you ever flip through the channels on the weekend, but he's literally on every channel. Uh, I mean, he's in every movie. He's, he's in so many. And, and my husband, whenever he flips the channel, he goes, there's your boy. There's your boy again. There's your boy. <laughs> so it's, it's hilarious. Um, I love that. So how are, you, how are you doing this? I mean, I know now I think there's like software designed to like help people keep up with this. 
I imagine that wasn't the case. You know, that feels like a recent thing to me. Yeah. So how was, do you, how were you keeping track of these people and how were you getting to know their likes and dislikes? And Yeah, there was a, a crazy system. It, I'm sure it's quite archaic, um, but that we did, we were able to communicate throughout the company about the preferences. Um, but, you know, my main thing was um, training the team. I mean, it, the, when I say the team, you know, I would spend time in the housekeeping department explaining the program to them. And, you know, if you're in the room and you see that they love a specific magazine or they're constantly, you know, putting their pillows away in the closet or, you know, if they've made special requests, I said, you must notate these. And we have little little pads of paper that every employee had. Um, the bellman would have them and the restaurant servers would have them. And they would get rewarded by the number of preferences they would turn in. There was a little preference box. So, oh, that's amazing. So the employees got to participate. And, and then, you know, I would make sure that they were recognized when we were able to surprise and delight a guest based on the feedback and information they shared. So it was fun. Do you have a, uh, like a philosophy of hospitality? Because that seems hardcore awesome. Uh, did, did that beginning kind of just go into the rest of your life and what you're doing yeah, with it? Yeah, I, I definitely believe uh, in, in surprising and delighting and customer service. I mean, it's, it's almost an overused word, but um, it, it basically boils down to give people what they want because everyone defines service and luxury is different. Luxury may be to someone, leave me the hell alone. Don't right. bother me. I don't want to have my sunglasses cleaned at the pool. You know, so knowing what somebody, um, what, what, what is meaningful and special to them is critical. Um, I, I definitely employ, uh, as a way of life, providing, providing service. I'm a service-oriented person. If you see me at the 7-Eleven, I'm holding the door open for every barefoot soul walking in. Just, and again, it's not that I'm kinder than anyone else. It's just, it's, um, when you grow up in the hospitality industry, if you see a piece of paper on the floor, you're going to pick it up. You know, it's just, we're all in this together. It's not, there's no, there's no silos. It's not, this is my job. That's your job. It's let's create an incredible experience. And I, I try and, um, definitely uh, use use that philosophy in my own lifestyle but my team that I have I have three amazing women that work with me at at my company resort to Laura Madrid and and they also have um, a genuine interest in, in making sure that we take care of the customer in a way that um, the customer wants to be treated someone called today um, he's, he's a great client of ours um, and he, you know, he doesn't work on the internet and he doesn't have uh, email, but, um, you know, he wants to renew his passport. And so, um, you know, we're printing up the forms for him and delivering them to his house and helping him complete them. And then we'll, we'll, you know, send everything in for him. So it's not really, it's part of our job. We don't get paid to do that, but you, you go above and beyond. That's going to help him. And if he's got a passport, he's going to travel. So it, 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 it's, it's a full circle. That's, that's very cool. Uh, did you like leading a team down there? Uh, oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. I got thrown into it. I mean, I was a a young a young whippersnapper. Um, so I was hired as the guest history um, manager, but within a year, I was promoted to the director of guest services, and I had thirty bellmen, concierge, and uh, doorman and valet parkers reporting to me. And I was, you know, I don't know, twenty two. So it was pretty incredible. And um, you know, I luckily spoke fluent Spanish, so it helped me a lot um, to to manage. My my team it gave me credibility and I understood them on a different level than some of the expat managers that came in and, and couldn't speak the language um, so it was a lot of fun but again taking great care of the customer but um, you know that that really was an opportunity for me to um, teach my team that which can be a different philosophy in Latin America but 
for my own personal way of managing is the manager is not different or better. Um, in my full suit, I would be out there sweating, tagging luggage, you know, running cars or whatever was required. And I think, uh, especially the, the gentlemen on my team were, were first shocked. They're like, Senorita Lauda, you know, like, please let me do this. And I was like, I got it. You go focus on that guest. So, you know, it's, we're all in this together. And if there's not a job that a manager is not willing to do, then they're not going to be able to lead a team. How long were you at the Ritz-Carlton in, in Mexico? Um, I feel like my magic number is about three years, but it was probably, yeah, <laughs> it was about, about just a little under three years. Yeah. Now, uh, are you and Gil still dating this day? Where yes, is he? we were dating. Um, he, he was uh, in South Florida um, and he was uh, coming down about every couple of months uh, for a long weekend. So it was pretty interesting. So how is that? Would you recommend that to, you know, your teenagers now and having long distance relationships? Is that I is do. different then or now? I think, oh gosh, it's a lot easier now. Like literally back when we were long distance, I would write a letter saying, hey, do you think you can come down? There's this flight on September 3rd. It leaves at two o'clock in the afternoon. Write me back if you can be on this flight. Yeah, I love you it. Know, You're already playing other people's trouble. It was, exactly. But it was hilarious. So you, you'd write letters back and forth and put them in the mail about travel plans, which nowadays, you know, you can communicate obviously so much more easily and effectively, not only with making plans, but just you can talk on WhatsApp for free. So there's so many ways to stay in touch. But to answer your question, I absolutely think that if you can survive a long distance relationship, the living together part's easy. Um, you've got to have a lot of trust in someone when you're not living with them or certainly not in the same city. You've got to trust that, um, you know what, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be that they are going to be faithful, that they're, you know, that they're doing their part to whatever, you know, sure. get their career going so that it's uh, eventually going to help the team be successful in, in life later. So yeah, we, we were long distance for, five of our seven years before we got married. Oh, wow. So where did you go? So after three years, where did you, what was the next uh, time? Yeah, so I, so Gil had moved to Atlanta. We had, we had decided to move to Atlanta uh, because I was with Ritz-Carlton and obviously at the time Ritz-Carlton's headquarters was here, plus they had two hotels. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were based here before they were purchased by Marriott and moved up to Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, so Gil was with um, Scott Paper Company, which was, which was in the process of being purchased by Kimberly Clark, which is based here. Long story, we knew that we both could get transferred to Atlanta. Um, so Gil got here and I, this, this was a bit of a challenge in our relationship. I got a job offer here with Ritz Carlton, but I got a better job offer back in DC with mm. Ritz Carlton. Oh goodness. So I didn't move to Atlanta, I moved to DC. So what were the two jobs? And tell me your decision um, process. Well, it was, it was uh, coming to Atlanta would have, again, just it's, it's pennies, you know, and it's, it's really dicing, dicing and slicing. It, it, the positions were all good, but coming to Atlanta, um, I would have been guest history manager, and I felt like I'd already done that. And moving to D.C., I was going to be front office manager. So I felt like, again, it was, it was something that would add to my... Um, to my portfolio of, of positions and experience versus kind of doing something I'd already done. Right. Uh, I guess the difference was coming here to, to at the time Buckhead was considered the flagship Ritz Carlton property. So maybe it was a bit more prestigious of a property to come to, but no, I, I was, I was not going to do that. So, um, Gil wasn't too pleased and we, we, we did have a, a, a breakup. Um, we, we finally decided, Hey, we're obviously not ever going to live in the same city. This is silly. 
Um, but that only lasted a couple of months. We were miserable and, and it ended up, ended up uh, getting back together. So. I think that's really healthy, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, you know, just to be able to have that and, and then notice the difference. Uh, yeah. So how long do you see? Was this another three-year um, stint? No, or? it probably wasn't quite that long. It was actually maybe, um, maybe a year and a half. And, uh, and then I, I, I moved down to Atlanta. To work with the Ritz again? Yes. I got uh, a position here at the Ritz called in Atlanta in conference services at, that, at this point. So I moved down um, in 1995, late 95, just before the Olympics. Okay. So it was a great time to come and work downtown. And I was um, literally in charge of, of about five groups that came through with all of their top customers, uh, like in three waves of the, you know, uh, over the Olympics. It was, it was a crazy full on job. Um, but it was fun. What, uh, what do you know about hotels and how they operate and, and run versus what we, the general public know? And what do you wish we knew? Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. Um, there's so much, uh, there's so much, so much goes on behind the scenes and, um, you know, a customer just wants to be able to check in and wants their room clean and, and so forth. Um, you know, a hotel is a 24 seven operation. It never stops. So, you know, it might be that the overnight shift, you know, bellman calls off and, and then, you know, a manager needs to work that shift or it might be that, um, you know, the front office has tried to, to, to have a perfect sell and they've oversell sold the hotel um, because history shows that three people will not come tonight and it'll be perfect. But, but, you know, sometimes those three people do come and you've got then to relocate a guest to another property, which is a really tough thing. Um, you know, so much happens behind the scenes. You might have um, an opportunity where you're changing the ballroom from a corporate meeting and there's a wedding taking place that night and you only have an hour and a half to turn this whole room. And it's not just the banquet staff that's going to do that. At that point, you call the general manager, you call accounting, you call, you know, everybody and everyone's down there making this happen. So there's a lot of teamwork that goes on. There's I love the analogy of that swan, you know, in the in the lake. It looks so graceful on top. It's beautiful. It's serene. It's swimming, but underneath, he's he's paddling like hell. And that's that's what's happening in a hotel while while guests are hopefully enjoying a serene environment. That's a great analogy. Uh, what can a desk, What can a guest do to um, to be a better guest, basically, like for a, for a, like a major, you know, luxury hotel? Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to maybe what I said about being a better um, representative of America abroad. <laughs> just a it's, better person um, in general. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, kindness goes a long way. If you can, um, you know, sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And it's unfortunate because the kindest, nicest guest that really deserves that upgrade, you know, they might not get it because they're not complaining, mm-hmm. um, because they're gracious and because they're civil and someone else who makes complete stink might get it. And that's, that's unfortunate and unfair, but I, I, and it does happen. But in general, my advice is, um, you know, if you, um, if you're, if you're kind to people, uh, you'll have a much better experience. And if, 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 if 
it eventually comes around. I, I don't know if I'm if I'm very eloquent in the way I say it, but no, yeah, um, perfectly clear. You know, guests don't know this, but there is guest history about you, and if you're the type that <laughs> that calls 16 times and makes a complaint. Um, it's on your record and it's nothing new. When you check into a hotel across the world, if it's the same brand, they, they've got your number. Um, so it doesn't mean that you're ever going to know that. You're still going to be very well taken care of. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, the, um, it's the guest that's gracious that's, that's going to have the long-term um, care and comfort uh, thought of foremost by, by management. I'm quickly backtracking my, my 20s. And, and and seeing what, what what bad things I've done in hotels oh, over yeah. the years. Oh my gosh! Well, believe me, uh, hoteliers have seen it all. It's, it's unbelievable how people how people will behave sometimes when they think they're incognito. I believe you. I hundred percent believe you. Yeah. Uh, so, when did you decide to start doing your own thing, your own yeah. company, your own like, and more of the planning on on the other side of the coin, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we, um, we moved to London, um, with my husband's job and I, 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 so I, I worked for Ritz Carlton, St. Regis and Four Seasons Hotels. And, and these are all owned by different, these are different parent companies? Totally the, different brands. Yes. So, okay. Well, I gotta, I gotta ask about this. So to what are the, what are the, what, how was your experience different at the different hotels? Uh, yeah, all, you know, completely different. So Ritz Carlton, when I worked there, that was a really, a really cool company. It was started by Horst Schultze and his his steering committee, and it was um, the really the one one of the first luxury hotel companies. And they were very innovative in many ways, um, and and really uh, were were the essence of, of luxury travel. Um, and it was a small company, um, and they they did the right thing. The guest was always right, and it wasn't about the financials as as much as it was about the guest experience. Um, but you know, eventually that company was sold to a much larger entity, Marriott, and um, and now you know Marriott's bought Starwood, and they pretty much own everything. So nothing nothing wrong with being part of a, a big company, but it ends up being a bean counting company versus a customer experience company. There's just there's you can't be both. Um, so so things changed quite a bit. But when I was there, it was incredible to have that close personal access with with such um, icons in the industry and to be, to be taught, you know, by the, by the starters and originators of, of, of luxury hotel, uh, hotel business really in, in the United States. So I felt that was special. Um, when I joined St. Regis, um, that was part of Starwood, which was a huge company. And while I really enjoyed um, working for that brand, the luxury brand of St. Regis, uh, it was difficult to, to get, things done and make decisions that were the most appropriate for guests again just because it's part of a very large organization Mm. um but it was fun and i learned a lot uh and then i joined four seasons and that for me is just the epitome of an incredible company um isidore sharps the founder and he still um, owns 10 percent of the company and is at the helm um it's a privately owned company they have not you know sold to a, a massive conglomeration and um and they they really are um, who they say they are. The, the, in terms of consistency worldwide, it's the service is incredible. Um, the type of people they hire really are um, genuine. And 
um, I, I just can't say enough about the product and certainly the, the, the experience and the opportunity that I had there. So I, I, I guess I would say for me, that is the premier luxury hotel brand because I've seen it from the inside and from the outside as a guest. I've stayed at 65 of them, oh um, which is pretty cool, but, um, but they're all great and they always do the right thing. That's very cool. So when you went to London, who were you working with? Or who did so you I worked for four seasons. I was here in Atlanta at the Worldwide Sales Office, um, you know, working uh, in, in, in global sales, selling all of the properties. It was um, my husband's job that took us to London. And I was, at first, while super excited about London, I was pretty disappointed that I had to resign from what I thought was just the, the best job anyone could ever have. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I did it for the team. And right. uh, we moved we moved abroad, and I thought, well, this will be cool. I'll be a, a museum mom. I'll be a, I'll be just a mom for a while, which I hadn't ever really done. How old are the kids at this point? Um, so yeah, I've got two kids, and, and Isabella, I guess, was about three, and Gilly was seven. Okay. And um, so we arrived in London, and within hours, I had received a call from Four Seasons. Um, asking if I'd be interested in, in setting up an office for um, the Indian Ocean properties in the UK. So Indian Ocean properties, meaning we had two properties in the Maldives, plus a boat, a really cool dive boat. And we were getting ready to open up in Seychelles and in Mauritius. And the number one market for these hotels uh, is the UK. That's where the guests are coming from. Um, so they thought this would be an amazing opportunity to have me represent the Indian Ocean properties um, from a sales perspective and get outbound clients from, from London and throughout the UK going. So, of course, I accepted it. I, lo <laughs> I love working and I love a challenge. Um, and it was really fun. I got to see um, London and the UK, not just from a mom's perspective, because that I got to do. I got to put my kids in school and make friends and put them on the soccer teams and do all of that. But I also uh, got to understand how to do business in, in the UK market. And I was traveling to the Indian Ocean to these really awful places, um, at least once a month. It's a joke. Some of the most beautiful places on earth, truly. So it was fun. It was fun. I, I worked my tail off. I had I had three general managers to report to, and I, I reported to a sales uh, director of a director of sales and marketing based in Singapore. So I literally was working around the clock and and um, on many time zones with a lot of a lot of people that wanted as much of, of my time as possible. So it was hard. I you mentioned the, how business gets done over there. How how what's how is it different? Ah. Uh, in, well, I mean, technically, technically, uh, in the the consumer buys their travel a little bit differently. In London, they they often buy um, packaged holidays through tour operators, which is a little mm. bit different. Here in the United States, um, people that use professionals will will work primarily through a like a retail travel agency like myself. So, so in terms of how things are purchased, it's a little bit different. But um, but in terms of doing business, um, yeah, the, the Brits are incredibly, um, incredibly direct, but also incredibly gracious and lovely and, um, you know, easy to do business with in the sense that everything is um, very, very clear. There's no hidden agendas in, in terms of what I perceived. Um, everything is, is, um, is done very professionally. So... It was, it, was, it was a nice place to work. Um, 
I, I don't feel like it was, um, you know, complicated in the sense some places you, you work and there's a lot of red tape or bureaucracy. Um, England's very well run and organized. And, um, and I got to, you know, jump on the subway and on the train and, and do all my sales calls on foot. The only challenge for me was, you know, what do you wear when you're working in London and you've got to look right? So you're wearing heels, but you're walking everywhere. You're schlepping a, a laptop and invariably it's always going to rain. So that was a little bit interesting for me to figure out how do you arrive places without looking like a complete mess? What is um, the solution to that? Yeah, he, I still haven't really figured it out, but you never, ever leave without a raincoat, even on a most gorgeous day. It's an island and weather changes within a matter of minutes. Um, so I did one time make the mistake and then I ended up showing up completely sopping wet at someone's office. Um, but comfortable shoes, you just got to get over it. You, <laughs> you know, you're not going to look fashionable when you're walking miles and running up and down stairs and on and off, you know, buses and, and public transport. So I, I think I... Um, I, all my pretty shoes, I think, just kind of got put in the closet and collected dust while I lived there. But, um, yeah, you just you just figure it out. Um, we had a car. It sat in front of the house for three years. It's just ridiculous to try, and, to try and drive. So using public transport was really cool. How long were you there? <laughs> Guess. Three years. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell me, tell me what, your, what was your children? What was their experience? Of, it was great. Would they look back on it with fond memories? They. Loved it. Um, they I guess spoke a three-year-old probably doesn't remember a whole lot. But. She, she, she's pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, she, they had beautiful British accents, and that I miss. Oh my gosh, oh, I miss. I wish you had done a podcast of them because, frankly, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I have it captured anywhere. It was on. We had it on something, some, some outdated technology, which is now right. lost. Um, but yeah, they had a great time. Um, they made great friends. Um, you know, my daughter went to a preschool called Pippa Poppins, which <laughs> you can imagine is very posh and very, very lovely. Um, she's actually still on their website at, with her chef's hat on making, making biscuits one day. Um, and Gilly went to a, a prep school called Fulham Prep. He played soccer. He was the goalie. They always put the Americans in the goalie. Oh, of course. It's hilarious. Um, but he was always, you know, covered in mud head to toe because he just played on these muddy fields. And um, that was cool. No matter what the weather, you just you just got on with it. You know, the parks were packed even, you know, on rainy days. And we walked everywhere. And you know, we ate Indian food twice a week. The best Indian food in the world's in London. That's the first place I had Indian food was in, was in England. How was it? You know, it was the first time I had it. It was amazing. Yeah. And it's one of my, you know, great memories. So delicious. Uh, yeah, we, we went out, we ate Persian food, Lebanese food. We had our favorite Spanish tapas joint. Um, we ate a lot of lamb. Hilarious. I mean, if you think about lamb, for some Americans, that's like, oh, unique or exotic. There, because you've got a huge British culture and they eat, you know, obviously the lamb's big on their, on their menus. Then you've got the, you know, the Indian culture, lamb's huge on their menus. And then you've got the Middle Eastern culture and they eat lamb. So it was just literally like four or five times a week we're eating lamb. So we moved back here. We kind of went through withdrawal. I bet. Yeah. Uh, why, when, why, why move? Why was it? Oh, uh, yeah. Again, the job. You know, we were there uh, based on Gil's job, and um, in his his uh, his you know his position ended there. So um, it was great. We were on an expat package, and it's a wonderful way to to live in London because it was it's a very expensive city. Um, when we first moved there, the dollar was um, let's see, was it one one 
One to two. Everything was twice as expensive. So oh, like wow. Starbucks, you know, like a $4 coffee here was eight bucks. So, you know, my husband told me, he's like, you've got to stop doing the math. We live here now and it is what it is. But What, what is an expat package? Um, you know what? It depends on how you negotiate it. But uh, basically they help pay the rent and the kid's school. So With the, em- the employer you're talking about? The employer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was fantastic. Sweet. It was sweet because we were able to live, you know, right in central London, a pretty cool place. And um, and the kids went to um, some great British schools. And so, yeah, so that part's really nice. I, I think it would be tough to move to London completely on your own dime unless you're doing really well. Um, but it, it was very enjoyable. What uh, did you guys move back to Atlanta? We did. So why Atlanta this time? We love Atlanta. This is our home. Okay. Yeah, it's the, you know, we, um, we Gil and I, when we finally ended up together here, um, we, you know, we, 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 we plant the seed and, um, we've made good friends here. Um, you know, we, we love this part of town. We love the Druid Hills golf club. We, we love Virginia Highlands. Uh, you know, we've, we've lived in Grant Park. We lived in Druid Hills. We lived in Buckhead. And, um, and, and when we moved back to Atlanta, we, we of course knew we wanted to be on this side of town, but we, um, we chose Virginia Highland because to the point I made about not having to drive for three, three years, we thought, hey, let's live somewhere we can walk to restaurants and shops. Uh, I'll admit we jump in the car most of the time, but we can walk. But you can yes. if you want to. That is the thing. I, we, my wife and I used to live in New York City, and that's what I miss the most. Yeah, it's that's cool. Wow. So, yeah, easy, it's tough. Uh, doing that uh, okay so take me to forming the company are you ready to do that now or are you oh yeah going- so yeah so when we were when we were living in london i had thought about potentially starting up my own travel agency a lot of um my customers when i worked with four seasons were agency owners i mean that's who i was calling on um to help you know market our brand to them and so um i had i had spoken to a lot of them uh, you know throughout the years about their life and their business. And I knew that was eventually what I would do. Um, it's hard to leave a really good company with a great paycheck. You know, it's like to leave four seasons. I mean, that's, that's the dream working for a company like that. And I imagine there were great benefits working for, I mean, absolutely benefits, perks and, um, prestige. I mean, I, I had a really good reputation with that company and my customers, um, enjoyed working with me. And, and so it's, you know, you wonder when you, when you leave the company, will, Will the same? Will people still want to work with you when you're just you? When you're not behind a great company, and will the doors still open? And um, you know, I, I I took that chance. We moved back to Atlanta, and um, and it was a, a segue for me to go ahead and, and leave leave Four Seasons. I'll tell you what they they did offer me another position. They you know, do you want to sell our Asian resorts from from Atlanta? I mean, it was always something, and I'm grateful for humbly grateful for the many opportunities that were offered. But I I said to myself, if I'm ever going to make a shift, I've got to do ahead. And do it now. What made you know it was the time? Uh, again, you know, when you move, your whole life changes. Um, you know, it's a new start, new house, new start, um, kids in new schools. You know, you're finished one position and you, you haven't committed to something new. It's, it's hard to leave when your fingers are, you know, in, 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 in deep. And I, um, yeah, I wasn't, didn't have a role. I didn't have a position. It was just, I could cut clean. Gotcha. So it was the right time. Um, and I really honestly also wanted to start playing some tennis and maybe pick up golf. And I knew that if I worked for myself, I'd have um, a, a better opportunity of being able to, to pick up those, those kind of two hobbies that I always said I would do. Right. Um, was, I'm sure it's a lot different being your own boss versus having, you know, three managers and yeah. different time zones to report to. Yeah. 
It is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I probably work harder than ever. I don't think I've actually taken a proper day off in seven years now. Um, but I, I love what I do. I, um, I raised the flag. I told everyone, you know, hey, I'm opening for business. And it was since day one, my phone and email have been a buzz. So I'm, I'm really grateful. People um, I, I found um, like what I do, trust my opinion and, um, and know that I've got integrity to, to always get it done and do the right thing. So um, it's been fun. Did you know how to start a business? Um, you know what? I knew how to run a sales organization and I know how to take care of customers, um, which were kind of the, the, the core of what I needed to do to, to be successful in this business. I, I still do not like accounting and I don't like payroll and dealing with taxes. And that's something that is a, a bit of a... Um, assorted my side, but I luckily you can hire great people and outsource those responsibilities. So I don't like the back office part, but and I it's it's not my forte. But uh, but running a business like this feels very um, intuitive to me. Gotcha. So how long ago was that? How long have you had seven years? Seven years. Congratulations. Seven years. Yeah, it is exciting. It's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind. I, I work from home and um, my office is upstairs and I have three amazing women that work with me. I, I initially started with just me and that was really the, the plan. I, I didn't want to manage teams anymore. I've already done that. Um, but you know, you get busy and then you want to not necessarily expand or grow because that's not really my my um, model, uh, so to speak, but you want to take care of your loyal clients in a way that that is, you know, excellent and um, with quality. And I knew that I needed help to deliver the type of service and to go above and beyond um, to our to our customers. So so now I've got three, and I don't I, we don't fit any more people. So that's it. I don't I don't want to grow anymore. So it's a matter of um, now just figuring out how to. Um, how to maximize uh, and, and further take care of the customers that we, we currently have and, and certainly always grow. There's always room for, a, for another great customer, but just really looking at, um, you know, uh, taking on what we can actually do and service correctly. How do you guys divide the, the, the work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I'm the person that does work with every single customer. Um, but what we do is I, um, I assign um, each of my clients to one of my team members to help with. So, you know, there's specific customers that um, Celeste assists me with and certain customers that Holly assists me with. Um, so they get to know them very, very well. They get to know their 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 needs, their dietary concerns, their children's uh, birth dates, their special occasions. You know how they like to travel, what type of bedding they like, what types of properties they enjoy. So while I still touch um, everything and help advise and, and manage the relationship with the customer, um, my team members ensure that everything is um, every every T is is crossed and every I is dotted, so to speak. It's, yeah, I have important. no doubt. Yes. <laughs> After yeah. just talking with you just for this little bit. That, yeah. That the training has gone perfectly and they know exactly what your expectations are, which well, are going to be high. They are. They're, we have high expectations, but luckily they, um, they, they, they know uh, specifically you know, how to deliver that and do so with pride and, and, and I'm grateful for them. So, so how, many, how many countries have you been to? Um, I haven't counted recently, but I'm, I'm about 75. Good yeah. gravy. Yeah. Uh, so 
this is going to be, I don't know if this will be an answerable question, so this might be the worst question mm-hmm. ever, but what have you brought back from your visits that you kind of incorporate into your own daily life or ritual or, or outlook from other cultures that you've been to? Because you've been so many places. Thanks. That's such a cool question. Um, there's, there's a few things. Uh, but, you know, I, I've traveled to India on a couple of occasions, and I really... I love the, um, I don't do this enough, but I love the meditation and the yoga. That is not separate from life. That's just how most Indians live. Um, It's part of their daily routine. It's how they, you know, um, keep themselves focused or, you know, slow the heartbeat for a few minutes or, you know, get breath and, and, and oxygen into all of their limbs. I mean, it's, you know, to take 10 minutes and, and, and meditate or to wake up in the morning and, um, and get a really good stretch so you can move and flow gracefully and get, get the, get the neurons going. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to, to live. So I, I would say, um, I, I bring some of that back into my life. It's not enough, but I, 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 little bits and pieces of it. Um, you know, I, I have no problem, um, enjoying a couple glasses of wine with, with a great lunch. And that's something I probably bring back from, you know, doing business in, in Europe or in Latin America. You know, it's, that, that's part of, of the culture is to have, you know, a great, a great lunch and a couple glasses of wine. I'm not saying I do that every day, but if I'm going to sit in a restaurant, I don't care if it's a Monday, I'm going to enjoy some wine with that. If, if I'm going to take the time to actually have a meal. And I, um, I appreciate that, that little bit, um, that I've learned from my travels. Um, you know, um, I would say work ethic when I lived and worked in Mexico. And when I visit Mexico, I, I see how, how hard people work and it's not, they work so hard, because it's a hardship, it's just why would you not give something your best and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, be great at it and earn a buck while you're doing it. So I just, I don't know, there's certain things that I, I feel are um, little bits and pieces that I've incorporated, but probably a lot of it is um, not even knowingly. Right, just kind of seeped into your, mm-hmm. into your life. Uh, do when you do you and Gil travel for fun, and when you do, do you bring the kids? Have you kind of carried that tradition on? Yes, my kids have been um, combined between the two of them. They've been to forty countries so far, so that's pretty cool. Um, they've they've been to Morocco, and they've been to Turkey, and they've been to the Maldives, um, and uh, you know. It, They've been all over Europe. Um, they've done quite a bit of South America. We most recently went to Peru, uh, but you know it's cool. Uh, they they've been they've been into they've been to places where they're on the beach and we're in bathing suits sitting next to someone in a full burqa, and they you know they don't think much of that. And I think that's really cool. They they're they're well well rounded well adapted kids and i always like to say they don't they don't even see the color of people's skin they they've got friends from all over the globe and my my kid my son goes to international school and his friends are literally from brazil and from germany and and from uh, iran and i think it's cool i love that uh, i want to get into some some uh, tactical advice for the listeners about packing and traveling and things like that mm. since you've done it so many sure. times do you have a a set method of uh, of packing at this point. You packing cubes. Give, what is a packing cube? A packing cubes is great. It's it's the best thing ever. Um, 
They are little kind of plastic zipper bags that have a mesh top so you can see what's in them. And I suggest to get, you know, a, a dozen if you want, but, you know, at least three, four, five in all different sizes. And it's a great way to, to travel because you can um, make them into like little drawers, and it's one thing if you're going to check into a resort for a whole week or you're sitting on a cruise ship for a whole week. But if you're the type that's moving around and, and changing hotels every two or three nights, you don't want to completely unpack your suitcase every few days and then completely pack it again. So the packing cubes allow you to put your T-shirts in one, put your undergarments in another, put your um, dressier you know, clothing, maybe you only need a couple of nights in another one. Uh, and, and, and so when I'm in a hotel for a couple of nights, I, you know, if I don't have time to unpack, I'll actually lay my packing cubes all neatly, neatly, of course, and organized. Of course. <laughs> on whatever, on the chaise lounge or the desk or even on the floor, whatever. But every, I can just unzip everything and get what I need. And when it's time to pack, it's not like, oh my God, now we've got to spend two hours packing up literally you just zip everything and put it back in your bag it keeps it nice and neat um as you are you know as you're moving your bag through airports and 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 hotels but also just allows you to to find things easily and keep them organized and as things start to get dirty then you've got the dirty clothes separated from the clean and it's you have a separate cube for the dirty clothes right yes absolutely yeah you can't you can't marry those (laughs) uh that that's awesome uh so what's in what's in your carry-on bag on my carry-on bag, yeah, definitely my laptop. I'm a little bit addicted. It's a, it's a bit scary, um, and I, I wish I read more, but I spend a lot of time keeping up with my business. Um, when so, I travel, I'm 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 I never put an out-of-office assistant on. I would never do that to my clients. Uh, I think it's rude, <laughs> a because they don't care that I'm in you know Jamaica. They have an agenda. They've got a trip to plan, and I would never want someone to think that I'm not accessible because I travel, because by the way, I travel for a living and I, I travel all the time. So my laptop is in my, my always next to me. It's in my purse or it's in my carry on. And, um, you know, I love long haul flights. When people complain about, Oh God, we got a 16 hour flight to Africa. I'm like, woohoo. Like you can get so much accomplished. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it's fun. What, uh, what else? So you got a so, laptop? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for, I mean, for flights, I, I always have a, a bit of, it's hilarious. I've got this black, cashmere hoodie and that's my go-to for for long-haul flights because it's it's lightweight but it's warm and I put it on and actually put my hoodie on my husband thinks I look like a total nut job but it allows me to sort of be in my little cocoon so I can sleep I want to get a really good night's sleep so whenever I arrive somewhere I'm fresh and ready to go Um, I wear an eye mask I wear a little uh sort of that little neck pillow um I put on earplugs and um if it's a long haul flight, I will take an Ambien as well. I, I believe in a, 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 like I said, a good night's sleep and I want to arrive just ready to rock. Um, mm. So that's my, that's my, on an international flight, that is my absolute must have. Um, but I, um, you know, I always will bring um, something that looks decent as well. When I get off a, a airplane, I get off, take off the, the hoodie and I always just throw on a blazer. Um, I think even if you're wearing jeans or uh, a t-shirt, if you throw on a blazer, you're ready to walk into the George Sang in Paris and greet a general manager and look like a proper guest. And I, I never want to, um, although nowadays people wear whatever they want and it doesn't have anything to do with how much money they have, but I, I, I want to set uh, an expectation and add to the ambiance of a place and not take away from it. So, uh, you know, a simple blazer will just, you know, put on some lipstick and a blazer and it doesn't matter if you've been on a plane for 
for 16 hours, you'll just look a heck of a lot better and, and you feel better. I'm feeling very embarrassed with my t-shirt and sneakers right oh, now. Oh, God, no. No, <laughs> listen, house I, is no so, you know what? So Don't beautiful. be silly. I know. Uh, my typical outfit is my, my tennis gear without a shower. So when I'm working from home, but I, um, I'm just talking about, you know, when you travel. It's, oh, yeah. No, and what we were talking about earlier, too. You want to you dress the part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense. What, uh, do you have any other tips for like getting over like jet lag or like routines of like that you go through when, okay, we land, you know, going to check into the hotel. What do you kind of do to get yourself? Yeah. Um, so jet lag is, is a state of mind and what a pet peeve I have is when people say, well, in my time at home, it's right now four in the morning. I was like, well, you're not at home and that's not your time. You're here. So nobody cares what time it was when you left somewhere. Um, set your clock for where you're going and um and behave like that's your your time um yeah don't get wrong you're gonna you know have a yawn or two at three o'clock in the afternoon and you might need an extra espresso but um you you've got to immediately adapt to your time zone and um and i think a lot of it is state of mind if you if you you know you're here and you're ready to do and see and be then then go for it um if you're gonna flop in the bed and take a six hour nap right after you arrive you're gonna be messed up for the next three or four days so you've just got to get on with it um getting oxygen getting some sunlight if you have it in you to hit the treadmill or just go for a run it'll it'll make a huge difference just power power through power through yeah um and and you know again hydrate up a lot don't get me wrong i enjoy my wine like no one's business but drinking tons of water does help always yes that's like that and sleep right yes the the best things uh what are you still loving about your job now it's seven years you've had the business your client list seems full how do you kind of renew yourself when the challenges to um to keep going that's such a great question and i always um you know you always worry about that you never want to be stale you never want to not be excited um you know otherwise it shows and um I tell you what, I I get so excited planning people's trips. Um, you know, especially if someone calls and says, "Hey, you know, we want to um, we want to do something, you know, that that I that that I don't know a whole lot about." You know, and again, I try and be a jack of all trades, and I I really do try to, um, uh, and I think I can sell pretty much everywhere in the world because if I've not personally been I've I've got incredible uh on-site contacts which I can call but you know I love a challenge so someone called me last year and wanted to take their kids to Mongolia and that's really cool um I hadn't been uh I had to do some research I had to get on the phone with some of my colleagues um but we planned one one heck of a trip um they got to go in the into Mongolia and and go out with um some 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 local tribes for this incredible festival uh where they have these competitions on horseback where they catch falconry on their arms as they're horseback riding and just incredible they say it's amazing really cool yurts in the middle of the desert um you know it's it's a fascinating place and i was so pleased that these clients wanted to take their three boys there young boys but um yeah you know what i um i get really excited honestly about every every opportunity every booking um the best thing for me is when clients want to try something new i mean we've got clients that are happy to go to the same place every year and that's cool i mean that's that's easy that's an easy booking and i right. and i love it and i love to take care of them and they're happy but when i can get a client to try something new to branch out oh my gosh and they come back and they're so thrilled that they did it and they're like that was awesome so glad we did it and that gives me great joy and satisfaction because that's 
that's part of my job. I'm not an order taker, although I certainly can take orders. Uh, I love to um, to expand people's horizon, even even people that are extremely well traveled. And you know, at the end of the day, um, they've hired me for a reason, for my expertise and advice. And you know, if if a client's hired me, I hope that they'll I hope they'll get what they're paying for. He'll be smart enough to listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to, to introduce something new to someone. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to your carry on bag. What, what specific brand of luggage or bag do you use? I'm sure you've tried many. Do you have one that you love? Um, you know, it's funny you should ask that. Um, I, I've had a lot of to me in my life. Um, I, I think people either love it or don't. Um, but you know, we've had everything, and I, I do think they they make some some great product. Um, and one thing I like about them as well is that they they uh, they will fix for free anything that doesn't doesn't last. I think it's a lifetime warranty, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I've branched into, um, and I'm going to totally boggle the name i'm forgetting what it's called i branched now in i'm using the hard luggage now it's gotten back in vogue the that you know uh, right i don't know what it's called we'll it, i'll link to it in the we'll figure out the name afterwards and i'll yeah. link to it in the show notes um so yeah so a lot of our luggage is, is the hard hard case and um and they're great they're sleek looking and everything stays super protected especially if you're bringing back wine uh, which i love to do very um, important but yeah, there's there's so much out there, and I think it is confusing. But I would say that um, it's expensive, and, and 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 it's and it's worth it if you buy something that's quality. Um, luggage lasts for a really long time, and hopefully, it's going to go all over the world. And and buying something schlocky or something that's you know not going to last is um, is a bad investment. So I would say you know do a little research and then go ahead and spend the money. You don't buy luggage every day, and when you do, it's it's worth getting something good. I got you. What uh, would you consider yourself a heavy packer, light packer, a just right packer? Is my guess. Are you asking me or my husband? Uh, I'm asking both, and how you one might uh, uh, no. <laughs> conversations ensue when packing. You, you know, I'm, I, I, it's funny. I'm, I'm probably a bit of both. Um, it's easy to pack when you're going somewhere where it's warm weather uh, because everything's smaller and it's easier, and you're not needing a lot of cover-ups. If I'm if I'm going to you know Russia or Antarctica or even Iceland, you know, you're 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 packing um, a lot of heavier things. I hate being cold, so I'm always wanting to be prepared. I've got you know a ton of sweaters, different coats, um, but the um, the main challenge for me, and I think for women in general, is shoes. And it's not just about having so many shoes; they're just heavy and they're bulky, so they're not the easiest thing to pack. So I don't think I've ever really mastered the shoe thing. But I'm really what I am good at is um, coming up with a color scheme and just sticking with that. Um, you know, whether I'm going with navies or blacks, or you know, it, you're doing some pink or you're not. You can't just have one pink thing because then you <laughs> need the belt and the shoes. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, I, I I would say come up with a color scheme, which I think I do. For fairly well. And then um, you're going to wear things several times. People think you can wear one thing on Saturday and then never wear it again. That's crazy. You can't do that for packing. You've got to, you know, plan on wearing the same evening outfit two or three times if you're gone for 10 days. And, um, and that's fine. Nobody cares. Um, Mix it up with a scarf. Um, And you know what? Every good hotel around the globe does laundry, uh, so you can always get things cleaned. And if it's you know sportswear, if you're wearing t-shirts and 
you know, yoga pants, you can honestly even wash those in your bathtub if you're cheap, you know, and, and you just, you don't need to overdo it. I gotcha. So is Gil the overpacker? Oh God, no, no, he's <laughs> oh, okay. not, he's not, no, he's, he, sometimes he makes me a little mad because he'll show up and he'll like, oh, did I need that? Did I need a sport coat? <laughs> oh, were we going to go running? I didn't bring sneakers. And I'm like, how many times have we traveled together? So yeah, he, um, no, he, he sometimes brings too little <laughs> i gotcha <laughs> but he, but i was i was gonna say he would say that i overpack but i don't it's okay it's all point of view i understand uh what's what do you read and look at what websites or magazines or things that are part of like just like your due diligence of being on top of what's going on in the travel and hospitality industry yeah that's a great question there's a lot of um insider travel agency magazines that i get um which sometimes pile up, but there's a lot of just advice or insight from other people that do what I do that I'll look at. Um, I love looking at um, Departures magazine from American Express. I do think they do a great job. Um, Virtuoso, which is the affiliation I'm in, has a really great travel magazine that I like to, to look at and read. Um, I love the New York Times. Um, they've got the 36 hours in, you know, in different cities. I love that. I, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things to read. It's, it's awesome. And, it, and often I am in places for 36 hours. So I think it's really helpful to sort of see what they suggest are the must-dos. Um, I'm a big food person. So for me, when I... Uh, when I do anything, I like to know about food. So, um, you know, I like a website. I love eater.com. I, I, I love to get their um, advice about what's hot and what's happening with trends and restaurants and chefs. Um, top, top 50, top 100 restaurants in the world. I think I love kind of knowing what's, you know, what are, who are the hottest chefs and, you know, read about them and then see, gosh, when, when might I be traveling there? Um, I love um, I love reading about wine. I'm reading a, the book called The Wine Bible. I love watching movies about wine and movies about food. What um, uh, what like what what's can you give me an example? Uh, yeah. Um, so there was um, there's all kinds of great wine movies, for example. But um, Sour Grapes is a really uh, f- interesting movie about. Um, about a, a guy in the wine business who was actually a real phony. He was he was labeling bottles uh, to appear to be these incredible, rare, you know, auction uh, item type vintages um, and selling them for incredible amounts of money. And, and even the experts were, were fooled. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty slimy, but absolutely amazing that he got away with it um, for so long. Um, gosh, there's just so many good ones. Um, I'm blanking out. I've been wanting to see Psalm. I never saw oh, that. Yeah. What about Psalm, going through that sommelier yeah. course Psalm's or the test? Great. And then Psalm 2 is great too. What do you what do you like to drink? What's your what's your Tuesday good lunch? I'm gonna have a glass of wine. Yeah. Uh, or what's your wine by the glass so we don't so we don't have to worry about pairing it with a certain type of food? What's your like go to I'm a huge a of fan of um, Riesling. Um, it oh, yeah? gets such a bad rap because people don't really have an idea. Riesling can be um, bone dry, but it can also be um, made to be sweet I, I i like the bone dry but it's just so much fun it's so it's so rare in terms of where it's made it only comes from germany and alsace and you know maybe a couple of other areas but i, I think it's so refreshing and so um unique and different when and when it's when it's done the way i like it in the style i like which is dry or bone dry it's it's just a huge surprise so. do you have one you can get here that you can recommend to people oh uh, well there's so there's so many i don't have a specific name okay. but i'll just look at wine lists and if they have one i'll ask for a sip of it and if it if it's like a wow then i'll go ahead and order it 
Um, so that's my lunch wine. I don't like red wine during lunch because it turns your teeth red. I feel like <laughs> then everyone knows you're drinking. Um, but um, but yeah, no, um, a Viognier. There's a great Viognier actually um, that I just had at. Um, at, oh gosh, where was I? I was at the restaurant in Buckhead, right, right next to the St. Regis. But I'm forgetting. I love a good Viognier as well for lunch. Again, it's just got a lot of characteristics that are they're beautiful and fresh, and it has a fruit, but also a nice dry you know finish. Um, for evenings, I love I love red wines, and I love God all of them. I love drinking <laughs> yeah. um, Sangiovese, oh, yeah, and I I love Brunellos, and I love drinking um, Gosh Malbecs and Oh Tempranillos. So yeah, I, I wish I knew more about um, you know actual wineries, but I know my varietals really well, and I kind of just know what I enjoy. But it, my memory is probably too full of stuff to actually remember wine, so I take pictures a lot. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. You use an app or I anything, use or Vino sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's. Um, I think it's it's probably a good one to use. I probably should use it more. But I just sort of take pictures and then I'll put them in my blogs and that way I can remember what I had when I was a certain place. That's excellent. Uh, I really dig your blog, by the way. Thank you. Uh, what made you start that? Um, gosh, a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, I, I love to um, personally remember what I ate and drank and saw and where I stayed and that's helpful to me to, to categorize it or and catalog it um, but whenever someone says hey we're thinking about going such and such I just say hey look at this you know hey we're thinking of going to Mallorca well check out this blog and look at see if this feels like you know something that you'd want to be doing um, it's really helpful or hey we're deciding between you know Jamaica and Cabo well, look at these two blogs. Tell me what, what strikes you. So sometimes people can get a, a sense of, wow, what did this feel like? Or, ooh, that doesn't sound like something we'd want to do. Or, or you know what? Um, hey, what wine did I drink? You know, it's just, it's just a great great way to sort of remember but also share my experiences with people. That's cool. Uh, do you have a favorite region to visit uh, of the world that is when you're, when Laurel's wanting to get away? Or do you do that? Or is this every trip, also with the back of the mind of, you know, can I use this for later? Yeah, I really don't go places that I'm not super excited to go because I mean, there's just too many places I want to go. Um, but, you know, um, I love all parts of the world and it really just depends. I mean, if I had, God, I don't think I could pick. It's like picking a child. I, I mean, I figured this was not going to be a productive yeah, question, but I had to ask it. I, I mean, I love, I love South America. I think that it's underrated. Um, I think people go to Europe again and again and again, and they forget that South America is very European. Uh, if you go to the Southern Cone, you go to Argentina, Uruguay, um, Chile. I mean, they're all Europeans, and the food's incredible. The wine's incredible. Uh, there's so much wonderful nature um, from Patagonia to the Atacama Desert to, you know, Iguazu Falls and ranches and, you know, beaches. And it's mind-blowing, but... Um, People don't realize that it's that it's so sophisticated, and it's it's in the same time zone. So you don't even even have to, you know, switch you know over to six time zones. You can fly overnight and arrive for breakfast, and you're still in the same time zone. So, I um, I guess I'm super passionate about about that part of the world because I feel like there's a lot to still be discovered. What do you What do you uh, tell somebody who who is not a, a traveler, uh, who would like to travel? Mm -hmm. Like how do they How do you kind of ease them into and to, to wading into this, what may be like a very intimidating big deal to them. 
Gosh, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, is it, you know, I guess I'd get a feel for what's their hang up. Is it the flight? Are they afraid of flights? Are they afraid of being on an airplane for a long time? Or is it that they're not going to be home, that they just really like home? Or is it that they don't know what to expect? What are, what are other people like? What are other foods like? I mean, what's the hang up, I guess, is what I'd want to understand first. Um, but I, I think most importantly, um, I try and let people know that we're all just humans. Everyone's, for the most part, we're all good people and people are going to take care of you and they're excited to have you in their country. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I've been anywhere where I felt I wasn't wanted. So, you know, I, I think when people do go somewhere, they're always uh, surprised and delighted at, at how welcoming um, a certain culture is. But I think more importantly, um, all of a sudden, all of these uh, preconceived notions about, you know, what people are like, whether it's their whatever, religion or the way they do things, or some people may think some place is dirty or some place is conservative or some places, you know, uh, you're going to get sick from the food. I think when you go and you realize none of that's true, I, I think that's the coolest thing. So I wouldn't um, necessarily suggest someone do India for their first trip abroad. Um, so you got to kind of break them in slowly. I would suggest, you know, let's let's try Costa Rica or let's, you know, maybe go to London, um, you know, for a first timers. And kind of ease them into the, yes. the experiences. And usually then they want more. Uh, that's cool. So uh, food and wine are important to you. I can tell this. Uh, you've eaten a million cool meals. Can you do you think of any that are that stand out in all the ones that you've had? Is there a yeah? There's a lot is of is there cool an experience ones. or two? Um, we went um, to Peru last year, um, Gil and I and the kids. And um, on our last night, we weren't flying out till I think our flight was like at two in the morning to come home. And so we said, let's just go have a you know incredible last night. Uh, to cap off this trip. And we um, went to a restaurant um, called uh, Central. And I think it's like, at least it was like number five in the world, number four in the world um, in the rating. So we're like, this is going to be an incredible experience. And we went and, um, and it was. They, the way they do their menu is um, the foods are all from different elevations so you're, you know, it's a 12 course tasting menu and one course is from, you know, 20 meters under sea and the next course might be from, from 16,000 feet above sea level and the next course. So the foods and, you know, the meats and the vegetables, the produce are all from different elevations and altitudes. And so that was really cool. That's so cool. To make up a menu. Um, and I've got pictures on my blog if you want to check out that 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 menu that we had, um, but it was absolutely not only delicious and some of it was really just bizarre and crazy and strange, but I'm grateful that I had that opportunity to, to, to think about food in that way. Um, cause it took a lot of time and care to put that menu together, but to, um, to be there with my husband and my kids, um, was really cool. So we did a wine tasting, my, uh, a wine pairing, my husband and I, so they did, they paired wines, um, with each of the foods, but they did a juice tasting for my kids, a juice pairing. And you might think, okay, juice, like incredible, incredible juice combinations with fruits and vegetables that I've never even heard of. And each one complemented the course that they had. So it was, that's ridiculous. the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. It was amazing. So, 
Uh, well, I'm so thankful for your time. I appreciate it. I know uh, we're on we're on schedule, but I got a couple of questions that I ask, and that usually at the end of the podcast, and sure. you know, I'm going to answer them. I'm going to ask them rapidly, but you can take your time on answering them. Um, and some of these are a little hokey, but bear with me. Okay, <laughs> I like it. Uh, so there's a fire in your house. Your pets and your family are safe. Uh, you can grab three possessions. What do you grab? Three possessions. Wow. Okay. So my laptop would definitely be number one. Um, number two would be my passport <laughs> for sure. I, uh, I feel claustrophobic if it's even getting near the expiration date. Excellent. And um, gosh, number three, I don't know. It'd probably be some kind of food item. It sounds crazy, but um, I keep a pretty good pantry stocked with like yummy little delicacies. I've got some foie gras in there and you know, just some other, if there was ever an issue and we didn't have, you know, I don't know, some kind of natural disaster, if you need food, you probably should come over here, Michael. But yeah, um, uh, but yeah probably, I don't know, probably some specialty food item that I've gotten somewhere. Um, I, you know, I, I can't think of anything else that I would need if I have my loved ones. Do you, uh, and this is not one of the regular questions, but do you watch like travel shows? Do you watch those things? Do they... I watch food shows more than travel shows. Okay. Like, you know, I love... Who does uh, it right? Who's who's doing a good food show? I love that Netflix, I think it's just called Chef, um, that does these incredible stories about... Um, about really unique chefs um, all over the globe and, and their store, their life story, how they got there, what makes them tick, their restaurant, their their trials and tribulations. Um, I really uh, enjoy that 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 series. I love Anthony Bourdain as sort of a regular go-to. I think he's hilarious. Um, I, I like that he doesn't hold back about politics. He you know cusses. He's not in, uh, at all embarrassed that he overdrinks. And again, that was probably an opinionated comment because I yeah. probably overdrink too. I think he's awesome. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, I don't know. I guess I read about food more and chefs because I feel that um, that is great insight into um, into into travel and cultures and places. Um, that's most the most interesting thing to me. If you have a cuisine or last meal kind of cuisine, what 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 would that be? And you don't, you can get specific with what it would yeah. actually be, or it can just be it's, like I, it's probably Mexican. Um, and, and I don't mean you know Tex-Mex. I, I mean you know Mexican. Number twenty one. No, the combo. See, oh, okay. The you, fact that you didn't even get that makes that that's awesome. No, what does that mean? Oh, the number twenty one. No, that's yeah, hilarious. I don't. No, I don't two eat two enchiladas. In I don't there. eat fast food. But yeah, I um no, I, I Mexican cuisine is so varied. Like you could never get bored. I mean, every region in Mexico has completely different foods you know the way they make their tortillas are they corn or are they flour and what chilies do they use and you know do they make moles and if they make their mole is it mole poblano or is it mole from so it's like there are just so there's so much time and effort that goes into the in the into the making of the food and um and every region you know whether they're serving you know lamb or goat or seafood it's completely different and so i'm I would say that I'm completely um, impressed and could live a long time on Mexican food. And it's our go-to after we land from anywhere in the world. We're usually craving it, unless we're coming from Mexico and then we need a break. Um, but my most interesting food that I love is Ethiopian. Um, when uh, that's when we're in D.C., that's always the first reservation I'll make because they have the largest Ethiopian population outside of Addis Ababa is actually in D.C. And, um, and there's some incredible restaurants. And I think it's a delicious very interesting cuisine. Very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, part of the theory of this podcast is that we're all superheroes and we can all learn from each other's journeys. Uh, what would you say that other people would say is your superpower? Um, 
Gosh, I I would say that I I cut through you know red tape with a machete. I I don't let anything get in my way. I'm able to make decisions very very quickly. I know what I like. I I don't second guess. Did I make the right one? I, you know, I, I chose my wedding dress in ten minutes. I <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm no nonsense. I know I know what I like and I know how to get things done. And so what's your kryptonite? Oh gosh, um. Yeah, I would say um, I can't stand laziness. It brings me down, and I I, I can't stand, um, you know, not being able to count on people. That that affects me really negatively. So in the travel business and travel in general, like, things happen all the time, Mm -hmm. right? It's crazy. So how do you – what do you do to kind of – to regulate yourself and and go with the flow when – so many things oh. are beyond your control. I think that's uh, such a great question, and I absolutely don't let it get to me. It happens. And um, so when I'm traveling and when my clients are traveling, I always say, you know, most important thing you can pack is a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> it, you can't go anywhere without it. And if you're, if you're going to let a flight cancellation or bad weather or lost luggage ruin your trip, then honestly, you're better off not going because it's going to happen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And it's inevitable. And um, you've just got to, you know what? Maybe you're going to be stuck somewhere for an extra night and you're going to be able to experience something you never would have had or you're going to run into someone or meet someone that you wouldn't otherwise. I mean, in life, things happen and it may seem at the time like a you know uh, a complete inconvenience a nightmare and it, and it very well may be but you know it happens and if you, you know what happens in how you behave and how you choose to let it affect you or, or what more is more important i have a client in Sicily right now and um, they had a hell of a time getting out um, of of the the US due to weather and missing their connection and ended up having to fly via Milan instead of Rome. And anyway, they got there and she said, thank you so much. She's like, this has been so stressful. She said, I'm as cool as a cucumber in the emergency room. She's a doctor. She said, but this travel stuff has just got me completely out of my mind. And, um, they got to Sicily, um, and everything worked out and, um, they didn't have luggage, um, for the first day or so, but, um, they ended up missing a tour because of weather and then having to change to a different, doing something differently. But long story short, they were driving in Sicily with their, with their driver and there was a car accident in front of them. And, um, it was a bad one. And the woman needed medical assistance and ended up having to be not my client, but the woman, the, the car in front of them needed to be helicoptered out. But she was able to tend to this person and possibly save her life. So she's working as a emergency room doctor on the side of the road in Sicily. And, you know, I'm not saying that this is the vacation she will signed up for, but maybe that's that's why all this happened. She was meant to be that at that point in time. Yeah, that's that amazing. That's amazing. Uh, do you have a quote or like a story that inspires you that you kind of go back to? Shit happens. No, um, no, <laughs> no. That was that was silly. But I, you know, um, just live. You know, I I love. I forget the movie. I think it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But it said, you know, either either get going living or get going dying. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah, Shawshank. That I was Shawshank. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, both brilliant. Great movies. Uh, yeah, they're both classics. But uh, yeah, you know. Um, 
God, we're only here for 100 years if we're lucky. Just make it happen. Go get it. Love that. Uh, do you have a favorite failure? Something that, where you haven't succeeded? Because, I mean, you've done, you've done extremely well with it, everything you've tried. Are there, are there things where you haven't and then been able to learn from it? Yeah, I, gosh, it's funny that people should, should perceive me as being successful. Um, and I guess I am, but gosh, it all, there was a million failures to, you know, to get where I am. And that's, that's just how it works. Um, I don't really know if I can pinpoint one. There's so many, no, (laughs) no, I just, the point is anyone says they haven't had failures. Maybe they're not realizing what the failures are, but we all have them. Um, I, I, gosh, I, I, I don't think it's a failure, but I would say parenting is my hardest job. Um, I, you know, every day you, you, you wonder, are you, you know, are you creating the best human being you can, you can create? Um, are you being the best role model you can be? Um, you know, are we making, helping our kids make the right decisions? So that's something, you know, I I guess I'll never know because they'll hopefully be here long after me, but, um, you know, it's, um, it's just that's something that I, you know, you wonder, you hope you're doing the right thing. Right. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a failure. Um, I'm trying to think if there's. No, there may not be. Or it sounds like, honestly, like where you are philosophically, that you would have already incorporated that failure into a positive lesson and kind of moved on with it also. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, again, there's just a lot, and that's yeah. every day. You have, you, know, you have some, and then you win some, and that's what makes a person um, complete. Sure. Uh, I'm going to ask this because it, it just popped into my head, and we can, we can delete it if we need to. What's your philosophy with um, your kids and raising them as teenagers and, and alcohol? Uh, are you more of a European philosophy or more of an American philosophy? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, my wife and I are starting to talk about this. We're not quite yeah. there yet, but... I want to. I want to know what I'm going to do. Sure. Yeah. No. Um. We we're very open about alcohol. It's not something that we consider. Um. You know, necessarily only for adults. It's just. It's kind of. It's part of life. It's. It's part of our culture. It's part of food. I mean, that's the way. Like I said, I. I see places is via via their wine, their vineyards, what's on their tables, what are they doing with their, you know, with their free time. And for us, our free time is spent um, enjoying meals as a family, and that always includes wine. So we do um, invite our children to try wine if they'd like. Um, You know, my son is now 18, and um, he can, in in many places, we were in Belize last week, and he was able to order cocktails if he wanted. So he was able to do what he wanted, and we're we're supportive of it. Um, We... uh, you know, my daughter's not interested in trying. She hasn't even asked, and that's fine, too. Um, you know, we just want it to be done responsibly, and um, I'm grateful that kids these days Uber everywhere, and as, as do adults. Um, I, I don't see um, people drinking and driving the way they did when we were growing up, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so, uh, you know, again, alcohol shouldn't be the—same thing with sex. It shouldn't be this, like, horrible— thing that only adults do kids are going to do it too and so i think the more open you are and the more you talk about it it's it's life and it's natural and um you know uh, you just have to make good choices and good decisions and i think having as much information as possible is is the critical thing to give kids because we're not always going to be with them and um at the end of the day they're with their friends and they're going to be at parties and they're going to be in situations and they're going to be away at college and all you can do is give them what they're what you're able to arm them with in terms of information and experience. So, right, I know we're jumping around all over the board here. Uh, can you give me your like ideal day? You know, it can be a Saturday, it can be a weekday, whatever. 
you know, you prefer can involve work and not involve work. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely uh, it would involve um, something active. I love, I love getting out and, you know, going for a run if I'm home or playing tennis or hiking with my dog. Um, you know, if I'm somewhere interesting, I think, you know, seeing a place uh, on a bike or a back of a horse or, you know, on your own two feet is, is, is a phenomenal way to sightsee and experience something. Um, but always with great, you know, great meal at the end of the day. I, I love a great lunch when you're somewhere that you can relax and you're not feeling rushed or hurried. Um, you know, that's my my favorite activity is, is sitting down and doesn't have to be fancy, but just delicious and, and something unique and um, and share it with people to be able to sit down and have a conversation and, and enjoy a long meal that doesn't feel rushed is is a dream that's a treat so uh, yeah some active uh, adventure you know topped off with like an amazing reward such as a meal and some delicious wine that's that's day in heaven that sounds pretty good yeah what is uh what does the first 90 minutes of your day look like well we usually have the alarm go off around 5 30 um and we head to the gym my husband and i luckily i've got a partner in crime nice um so yeah it's a lot easier to get out of bed when someone else is is is, is pushing you from the other side uh but we we head to the gym and um work out and then um come back and get our kids off to school enjoy a couple cups of coffee and then get get rolling on the computers we um we we tend to have a pretty full day of, of work and um and then, you know, run kids around a little bit. And um, we try and make an effort to have a family dinner almost every night, even if it means, um, you know, ordering in, uh, you know, sushi and sitting around the, the, the butcher block and, and having a quick recap as a family. But we, you know, we, we definitely like to touch base at dinner as a, as a family in some way, shape or form. Um, so it's usually a full on day. We're not late night people. We go to bed pretty early, usually watch a few uh, news shows and try and um hear what's going on uh so what time what time do you go to bed what's the, what's the evening routine uh yeah i would say by um 10 30 um 11 o'clock yeah on a school night all right um if it's you know a weekend we might go crazy and stay up till 12 30 or so but yeah we're not uh late night people we, we prefer to get up and go get going in the morning i gotcha uh just a couple more questions. Uh, is there been a recent purchase, you know, of a hundred dollars or less, or around that kind of figure that has greatly influenced your life, or not greatly influenced your life, has greatly uh, impacted your yeah. life recently? Wow, that's a that's a good one. Um, These are all questions I've stolen from other people. <laughs> yeah, that's not an exaggeration. That's okay. You're borrowing. Yeah, it's yeah, good. What we do. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I. Like a physical thing, I'm just trying to think. I'm looking around my house. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give one for me and as, yeah. a, as an example, just to give you some time to think. And again, you may not, you may not have one, but I found this um, this back massager. It's this long purple mm -hmm. thing, and it's like at an S curve, and at random places, it just has like these things that stick out with like balls on them at the end, so you can have it. You can grab it in front of you mm. and have it. It goes over your shoulder around your back, and there's then a hard ball, and I can. You can pull it. You use your strength to pull it, and it just will nail like tension spots in the back. Oh wow, this is amazing! Or you can be sitting down, and you can pull it in front of you, and then you it'll hit spots in your foot or your calf. Like it's amazing. Like it was thirty bucks, yeah. and like I love it. That sounds amazing. It sounds really good. Um, 
Maybe along those lines, have you ever seen those foam rollers? Like, oh, the, yeah. yeah. So that's, those are incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love to like line it up on my spine and lay down on the floor on it. And because we spend so much time hunched over on a computer and like, posture is just, for, it's critical. And it's, it's, if you don't take care of it now, you're going to be in sad shape when you're older. But so to lie on that um, for 20 minutes, you come out like completely realigned. So that's something that I, I've had it for a year or so, so it's not a recent purchase, but I no, would that's say that's, that works. that's a pretty cool um, little little invention, if you will, that I've discovered, and it does so many other things. Um, it can, you know, you can roll on it if you've got an ache or a pain. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing to sit on and watch TV. Yeah. Oh, this thing right here. I, w I don't know if it's 100 bucks, but this is, is great. That? This is, um, it's this Thai... Um, like sitting chair, if you will. And it's so, it, it's, it's, it's a floor mat and it's so great because see this fireplace here. I love sitting right on top of the fire and you know, I can't feel the fire from somewhere else cause I'm always cold. Right. And so this thing, um, it was probably a little over a hundred bucks. I've got it online, but it has a wonderful support system and you lie down right in front of the fire and I got it and everyone thought I was crazy in the house and now everyone's trying to get it. <laughs> Everybody's from me. fighting for it. Like this is mom's. It's wonderful. That looks cool. I might, so I might take a picture of this to so get or I'll find one online and link totally. to it. Totally. Yeah. I'm not sure how that works. Well, yeah, I'll enroll it for you after our little chat here and <laughs> show right. you, but it's really, it's it's just very versatile, very cool. That sounds good. I, I think people have already got an idea uh, of the answer to this question, but I want to just give you a chance to, to answer it. So what's the difference between planning a trip with you and without you? Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's just like, um, you know, going for a workout on your own or having a personal trainer. I mean, you know, what's going to be a, a better designed workout, what's going to give you, you know, expertise and, and, and help you, you know, uh, target all the spots that you're interested in and help you achieve what you want. So um, anyone can book uh, a trip and there's lots of, lots of information online. Um, but we do this every day, uh, for a living. This is, this is, this is my profession. This is what I'm an expert at. So it's, it's, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I've, I've had a client say, Hey, you know, we're, we're thinking of going to Paris and I will make all kinds of recommendations. And then they'll come back and say, Hey, I spoke to my personal trainer and she said, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I work out every day, but I would never tell your personal trainer, you know, what I recommend for, for your workout. So right. that's fine. So either, you know, either you hire me or you don't, meaning like I'm the professional, I can help you with this. Um, so when people do book a trip with resort to Laura Madrid, um, they're, they're blown away how seamless it is because we do it not only uh, effectively, but also efficiently. And, you know, you can book a hotel and then worry about where are we going to eat and what are we going to do with our free time. But when we book it, we book a hotel and the general manager knows us and they know that you're coming and you'll often get an upgrade. You'll definitely get a welcome amenity. You're going to feel like a king. You're going to have your train tickets purchased and you're going to have your airport transfers handled and you're going to have unique touring you you know depending on your preferences you might have a you know private guide you know take you through the Prado Museum and show you all the highlights you know instead of you feeling overwhelmed in this massive museum they're going to take you for two or three hours and show you specifically what's going to make an impact on you you're going to have a food tour with our local um, expert and take you into the best neighborhoods in Madrid and, and his favorite bars and little restaurants and have tastings and he knows everyone he's going to introduce you to his friends um, you know you might um, go in and have a cooking class 
with with a chef in their home um, that we'll arrange. And, you know, you might um, have a walking tour with a local um, architectural expert and, you know, take you in to not only see some of these incredible churches, but also, you know, up to um, the, the nave and to parts that you wouldn't be able to access as, a, as an individual, but because they have got relationships and can, uh, you know, again, share the experience as a local and as an expert. So when you leave the destination, you're like, wow, we really got an insider's perspective. We feel like we were with friends. And, you know, the, when you're with our guides throughout the globe, they are also giving personal tidbits for your free time. So, you know, they get to know you and you can ask questions and you're not just fumbling trying to, to figure out what to do on your free time. You've got some personal ideas. When I had clients recently in Thailand, in um, Chiang Mai, in the northern capital, um, my guide there invited my clients to his house for dinner with he and his wife. And they all sent pictures to me. And it was like this incredible meal and experience. And you just don't find that on your own. Right. Um, so again, you know, every client's different and they'll want um, a, a different trip. So we customize it for them. But um, yeah, once they do it, they usually realize, oh yeah, this is why it's so fabulous. Um, we, we present everything in a beautiful travel packet. But we also have this great online app called Axis and it has all of their trip de details on their smartphone. So when they're traveling oh, cool. and they're sitting at dinner and they're like, what are we doing tomorrow? What time is Guido picking us up? Whatever. They can look and sort of see what their whole itinerary is and they can message us through the app and you know tell us how much they're having a great time or, hey, can we please change our dinner till later because we really want to get the siesta in or, you know, whatever. It's, it's a really cool way to communicate it's it's a seamless experience that's amazing mm -hmm. uh where can people find you on the web well my uh my website is www.resorttolauramadrid.com and then my travel blog is lauramadridtravel.com so those are the two best places and um, of course i love to speak to anybody as well it's the best way to get them excited about a trip uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been really enjoyable for me. I thank really appreciate you. it. Well, you're awesome. It was really fun to get to know you off the tennis court. Likewise. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can sign up for the flock email, a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. Your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.